Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. One-two, spit. The ground ball, the third off the glove of Arenado. Boy, you don't see that often. Arenado to his left, and it kicked off the glove on into left field, so presumably an error for the gold glover. Already delivers inside, and it hit Outman on the foot, and now it's a 5-2 to two game as Will Smith strolls Outman home. takes off for second base. Thompson swings at strike three. Ball kicks away. Outman will head over to third. Will there be a play? No, there won't. Thompson strikes out for the second out, but Outman with good base running is 90 feet away on third two out here's Austin Barnes first pitch swinging a base hit in the center field the Dodgers on the board first a loss today for St. Louis would mean a bad kind of history it would match the 1972 Cardinals for the franchise second worst 29 game start the expansion era so that goes back to 1961 right to Freddie steps on first for one they got two that's a win and a sweep for LA 6-3 the final at least we heard Chip for a moment there. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Chip. Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario. Oh, you like a spider monkey. ESPN, the Cardinals are swept over the weekend once again. They are now 10 and 19 on the season. That is their worst start to a season since 1973. Golf clap. Can only go up from here. We Rock continue. Bottom. Only the Rockies, the White Sox, the Royals and the Oakland Athletics have a worse record in Major League Baseball. Those are good company to be in. Only yeah. the A's sit further back from first in their division. They're 11 and a half out. Oh, they got a chance. They are actively trying to lose baseball games. <laughs> Just trying to get to Vegas. The Cardinals have also tied another record you don't want to tie. A 116 year club record. By being 10 games out of first place before May 1st. And this one comes from Derek Gould. The largest April deficit that any National League Central team has ever overcome in order to reach the postseason was nine games by the oh, 2014 Pittsburgh Soul Pirates. All I'm hearing is history is telling you it's impossible. Let's all believe it's possible. Is it time for us to reevaluate our expectations for the 2023 Cardinals? I say that as somebody who predicted this team, can't believe I did it, to win 100 games. I am the guy that said this team would have a top five offense in Major League Baseball and that Ollie Marmel would be a asset to them this season. You just that the rotation pronounced. wouldn't have been as 
bad as people were predicting and that the bullpen had a chance to be really good once they got the correct pieces there. That is my background to asking this question, which I think is fair now that we are into the month of May. Alex, is it time to reevaluate our expectations for the 2023 Cardinals? Yeah, I believe it is. I mean, the 40 game plateau, that's the benchmark we were all measuring this team of sitting there and saying like, okay, you'll know who they are. Right now, you've played 29 games. And unless this team's about to go on an 11-game win streak and put themselves right back into first place... Could happen. I mean, let's be real here. You win nine out of the next 11, you put yourself back to 500. Then, yeah, the opinion's going to change. But I do think it's time now to realign our expectations of what this team is. Maybe still a playoff team. Maybe some magic can happen down the stretch and everything starts clicking and you push yourself back into the conversation of a wildcard team. But this isn't this isn't the Atlanta Braves. This isn't the Milwaukee Brewers. This isn't the Dodgers. This isn't the Diamondbacks, which I can't believe I'm saying any of those teams. But right now, you're not a top of the division team and you're not playing that way. And I don't think that even if this is a, quote, second half team, I don't think that matters. I think you're seeing the true identity of this roster. And as time goes on, you might start to correct it a little bit, but you're not going to just turn this team around completely from what it was. Yeah, I I think it's time to adjust expectations. And look, I'm not giving up on the season yet. We're getting closer to that, but... (laughs) I, uh, I'm not giving up yet that they're a playoff team. I have lost hope that they're an NL Central winning team. I mean, you fall 10 games back at any point in the year, it, it's time to officially sound the alarm bells. And they're not good at anything. And I mean anything. They can't hit. They don't hit with runners in scoring position. They can't field well. They don't run well. They don't uh, pitch well. Their bullpen's been okay. Like, I can't point to this team and say one thing they're good at except for giving up runs. And that's never something to be... Uh, well, that's just never good to say at all. So I, I, I look at this team, and I, I think it is time to adjust expectations in terms of them winning the Central. Can they still be a playoff team? Do I still think they're going to right the ship? I, I believe so. Now, that hope is fading as this. We'll see what the next homestand looks like because this should be six teams where they should go at best four and two. Uh, <laughs> Said but, that on the uh, 10-game road trip, yeah, too. But. I, I do think you can kind of put the division in the rearview mirror. I, I mean, I, I said this all along. You know, you can't win a championship in the first month, but you can certainly knock yourself out of a race. And I think they've done just that. And, and like, my only hope of the NL Central is the 10 games you're back are the Pittsburgh Pirates, which I don't think they're going to be the team that wins the division. But you're still eight and a half back of the Milwaukee Brewers, which is too big of a number, in my opinion, in April already. To win 92 games this year, you would need to go 82 and 51 the rest of the way. You basically have to play 30 games above 500 for the rest of the season. And that's to win 92 games this year, which probably gets you in. Probably. Yeah, it's past time to reevaluate our expectations for the Cardinals. Like, I I don't know how to sit up here and make you feel good about this team. It's like watching June of 2021, but with having no backdrop to any of it. Like, at least in June of 21. Listen, I'm not here to tell you that the Cardinals had been playing really well the first two months of the season, but they were like five games above 500 going into that month. So you at least had some semblance of optimism. You have some reason to believe, hey, that this could get righted. And this was a question that I asked on Twitter the other night because I was genuinely curious how much recency bias would play into the responses on this worst month of baseball for the Cardinals. 
June of 2021, where they went 10 and 17. And if you remember, that was when like Wade LeBlanc was signed and all of us were like, Oh my God, this is so refreshing. Look at this guy throw strikes. That was a bad day for all of us. I miss LeBlanc. They went 10 and 17 that, that month. They just finished April of 23 by going 10 and 18. So by record, it was technically worse. I do not think, though, it was necessarily worse in terms of what you were viewing in the moment. And yet, and yet, 92% of the more than 1,000 votes on this poll said this month, this past month that we just watched, worse than June of 21. And I get it, because we just watched it, and so you feel it in the moment. But Alex, I, my opinion on this is twofold. One, I think April was actually worse. That rotation had a 5-7 ERA. They couldn't find the strike zone. That offense was batting 217 for the month. This offense hit 262 in the month of April. The rotation had a ERA that was a point better than that rotation did. The problem, though, is it was easier for me to see how that got fixed than it is for me to see how this gets fixed. That team basically had two problems. One, they were getting pretty unlucky at the plate and they just weren't hitting the ball very well in general and two they needed to throw strikes so you go out there and you you find Wade LeBlanc you get John Lester you bring in Jay Happ they're not exciting moves but those guys throw strikes they stabilize the rotation and suddenly you're feeling good about it I don't know how you fix this genuinely I have no idea Nolan Arenado's got to start hitting you've got to have other guys that pick up their performance like there aren't personnel fixes to fix this the way that there were obviously back in 2021 during the month of June. So I'm I'm kind of of two minds on it, but this is one of the worst months that the Cardinals have played in franchise history, and there's no two ways about it. And I thought there was a decision on Saturday that I want to get to with you, Alex. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. It's bad baseball that we're watching right now. And on Saturday, there was a decision from Ollie Marmel that I think stressed exactly where the Cardinals are at in terms of pressing, decision-making-wise, and at the plate. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. In the air towards center. Long run, Carlson still going. Oh, what a grab. What a grab by Dylan Carlson over his shoulder. Almost a blind catch on the warning track. Fly ball, right center. Carlson on the run. for Dylan Carlson. It just feels so right that as great as Dylan Carlson has been with the glove, maybe he with the bat can be a Redbird hero in the night. He has had some moments in this game, hasn't he? The pitch, bouncing ball up the middle, almost hit the bag. The flip to first in time, and the Dodgers have beaten the Cardinals one to nothing. This is a guy that's running all over the field, making plays for us and showing that he wants, he wants it. So you give him a shot at it there. 
That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Coming up at about 10 minutes or so, we'll be joined by Joe West. He umpired a major league record, 43 seasons, more than 5,400 games in Major League Baseball. He was also a dear friend of the late Mike Shannon. We're going to talk to Joe West coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so. We will also be joined. Stay tuned for this. Bob Costas coming up at 1 o'clock. Also to remember Mike Shannon. But Alex, on Saturday, that moment that you heard there at the end, I think was symbolic of the issues that this team is going through right now. Now, if you weren't watching the game, let me reset this for you. It's the ninth inning. Cardinals are down one to nothing. The tying run is on base. There are two outs in the ninth. Marmol decides to stick with Dylan Carlson in that spot against Gratterall. Now, I'm focusing on this at bat. I want it to be known up front. There were other at-bats that also I thought were problematic in terms of all these use or really lack of use of pinch hitters. But we'll stick with this for a second. Carlson had a single earlier in the game. It came off of a left-handed pitcher, though, of course. And he had two great catches in the outfield. Full kudos to Carlson. Front end of this. Hey, man, the guy played great for the first eight innings of that game. And he is clearly your best defensive center fielder right now. Back to the at-bat. Dylan Carlson so far has a 270 slugging percentage against right-handed pitchers. A 330 slugging percentage in his last 340 at-bats against right-handed pitchers. In other words, he has been atrocious against righties. Nolan Gorman was sitting on the bench. She had an off day on Saturday. What does he do against righties? 590 slugging percentage. Alec Burleson also on the bench in that spot. Now, I wanted I would have gone with Nolan Gorman, but Burleson also there as an option. 475 slugging percentage so far this year against righties. Now, if you are wondering, okay, BK, but what about Gratterall? There's probably some reverse splits here, right? Mm-mm. Nope. Lefties have an 835 OPS against him. Righties have a 570 OPS against him. It's even worse if you look at the history of his career. Derek Gould responded to this move with a piece in his story over the weekend by saying, quote, the only way that this move would be considered a coin flip is if one side of that coin is data and the other side is Ollie Marmel's gut. Here's Ollie explaining why he decided to let Dylan Carlson stay in that game to hit against Gratterall on Saturday. You can flip a coin there. Um, you can go either way. And Dylan, uh, that's an opportunity there in the way he plays center field. We wanted to give him a shot. And uh, he's into the game mentally, emotionally. And um, we wanted to see what he can do there. That was a bad decision. Full stop. It was the wrong decision. Ollie talks a lot. And I give him credit for this. About competition and giving the best guys the opportunities In that spot, he went with the wrong player. It was not a coin flip. In no way, shape, or form was that decision a coin flip. And if he thinks that it was a coin flip, then I would love to know what numbers he's looking at. I would love to know what information he took into account in that specific decision. Because the only way that you can explain it away and say that I felt like it was the right choice is by rewarding a guy for making two catches in the outfield And if we flipped the names, and instead of being Dylan Carlson, it was Harrison Bader that made those two plays last year in center field or two years ago during June of 21 in center field, and you ended up going with that guy getting that at bat against that pitcher, we would all be criticizing from high hell. 
that they decided to make that move. It was the wrong one in the moment. It looks even worse now. This is a team that needs to make aggressive moves that give them the best chance possible to win games because right now they're getting their ass kicked regularly. And to make that move on Saturday, Ollie hurt his team's chances to be able to win that game. And I, I, I thought it was a disappointing decision by him, especially given what his history has been in those spots. Alex, what was your I, thought on I'm that? I'm at the point right now with Ollie where, and I've, I've verbally said this the last couple of weeks where, you know, I was, I was a little, uh, confused with Ollie, just how the season has gone going all the way back to the Tyler O'Neill thing. But now you're getting to the point where the managerial decisions are starting to be questionable. And in that spot, like to play devil's devil's advocate here. Yeah. Maybe this was a gut thing where you're like, all right, let's figure out what Dylan Carlson is and give him the opportunity. And okay, now we know you can't hit righties in a clutch situation. You're strictly this guy. But again, if we're going to go down that path, you've known this for the last couple of seasons with a 24 year old outfielder, but Ali right now feels like he's managing the way that the team is playing just uptight. Doesn't want to make any mistakes, trying to, figure out what's gone wrong with this team right now. And in that sense, for a lack of a better phrase, it feels like you're managing scared a little bit where if I make this decision to pinch it and bring somebody in and it doesn't work, people are going to be looking at me. But if I stick with them, well, at least I can back it up and say, well, he thought we was playing well in that spot. And because you can't use the analytics argument of why you went that route, because people are going to get frustrated. It just feels like you're overthinking every single situation right now. And in a spot like this, you didn't put the best opportunity to win in front of you. And again, I've been, I've been perking my ears up a little bit with Ollie going all the way back to the beginning of this season And that spot right there felt like an opportunity for you to put your team back into the game. And you went with the gut. That was the wrong decision. You remember what it reminded me of? You guys remember early when Paul DeYoung came back last year, there was a situation. I think it was against the Yankees late in the game where, and there's a difference here. And it's a distinct difference that I do think needs to be mentioned. Cardinals were up nine to eight in the bottom of the eighth inning against the Yankees. And there were, Two on, two out. Paul DeYoung comes up to the plate. DeYoung hits a home run, and everybody's like, oh, celebrate Ollie Marmol for sticking with his guy in that spot, even though he probably, like, analytically speaking, was not the correct player to use in that situation. And Ollie was rewarded for it. And we all said, like, hey, maybe that's the thing that keeps Paul DeYoung going. Uh, Spoiler alert, after the next two games, he was basically back to being the same DeYoung. It didn't really end up mattering, but in the moment, it felt significant. The difference there, of course, is that the Cardinals, A, were doing a lot of winning at the time. That was in the middle of Albert Pujols' mania and him getting to 700. And B, they were winning already. They were up 9-8 to eight when they allowed him to make that move. The Cardinals were down one to nothing in this spot, and they have been in a historically bad rut. So I do think there are some differences, but the decision in the moment was kind of similar. You could justify that Carlson thing if you're nine games above 500. Sure. If you're nine games below 500, you can't justify that. I I, I don't even know if it's not just 500 baseball in the first month would be, I think, a s- suitable to make that decision because I, I like what Ollie does in terms of 
testing guys how he's done it before. I mean, he did it with Palante last year where was he comes in low leverage. Okay, he does well there. Let's bump him up to the high leverage spot and see how he handles it. I don't mind if you're going to do that as a manager, but you can't do it when you're nine games below 500. And honestly, in one of the worst road trips we've seen. I mean, you can't do it in that spot. That's where it has to be pinch hit for. Now, I kind of understand where he's coming from in terms of We've got to get one of these outfielders going with Lars Newpark. The three outfielders besides Lars Newpark are below league average. Alec Burleson, 98 OPS plus. Carlson, 73 OPS plus. O'Neill, 84 OPS plus. That's all below league average. So, But that's can, not the spot. I, I, I'm I, understand, with you. I, I understand what you're saying because I agree with you. I would have pinched it for Gorman there. But it, it, I understand what he's trying to do. They've got to get an outfielder going. Yeah, Otherwise, they're not going to take off. You're I, trying to instill confidence in these players right now. But the problem but that's is not the spot. Not when you're about to lose another series. This is the thing. Like, I'm totally with you guys in general. Like, Dylan Carlson, if you, if they want to just say, Dylan, you're our best center fielder. Defense has been a problem for this team lately. You're our best center fielder. We're going to trust you to be out there every day. Right-handed, left-handed. I don't care. You're going to be our guy. They did this with Harrison Bader. Remember June 21, one of the issues was he wasn't available to them. He gets back, settles down the defense, things start falling into place. At the time, it was like Tommy Edmond uh, playing in right field for them. They they were terrible defensively that month as well. Well, okay, sure. Go ahead and use Dylan Carlson as your everyday center fielder. I'm not going to knock them for that right now. I get it. But you had an option on your bench, and people are saying Nolan Gorman's been slumping lately. Sure, he's had like a bad three-game stretch. Nolan Gorman has been one of your best hitters so far this season, and with runners in scoring position or with runners on, he has been quite literally your best hitter that is currently on the team. The only guy that's been better is Jordan Walker. He's currently in AAA for you. Well, that's a smart roster So Nolan Gorman against a right-handed pitcher versus Dylan Carlson against a right-handed pitcher down one to nothing on the road in the ninth inning. There is no coin flip here. Well, and the people not even a choice and the people that will use it. I know T-Bone, you were playing devil's advocate on our text chain when it happened and said, maybe it's probably a full day off for Nolan Gorman. I don't care about full days off anymore. Like if you're available to me off of the bench in a spot that we need you to help us win this game, screw the days off. Like it's April and we're nine games below 500. We haven't won a series since the Colorado Rockies. Also, they had a day off today. Scheduled, ready to go. And if a guy that like Nolan Gorman needed a full day off on Saturday because he's been grinding too hard as the designated hitter most days, like come on, man, it's a hard that, job. That, that felt like yeah. a score bottle yeah. moment. Score bottle that, out. that was that's a hard job. I say mentally. that because it's not true. Like they just he didn't need a full day off. That one at bat against Gratterall, who they have a bunch of history against. Like nah, man, and, get out of here. That was not the explanation. And, and we, we, we wanted to see if, too. if Carlson could go ahead and get the hit there, and he couldn't. There, there there's a weird trend that's developed this year with Ali in terms of not willing to burn two guys on one spot because this isn't the first time this has happened because if you go to Gorman there, you're pinch hitting for your center fielder with Gorman, not an outfielder, and then you have to replace him in the next half inning if you tie it or even just replace him in general for uh, Alec Burleson to go in the outfield. That's two two players burned off the bench for one spot. We saw that earlier in the year where he didn't pinch hit for, I can't remember the exact situation, but he had a chance to go to, I think it was Carlson first against a lefty, and he elected to go to Motter first because that way he he wouldn't burn two position players, even though he was going to do that the whole time. So there's been weird trends that have developed in terms of the way Ollie's been managing. And I agree with what Alex said when we started this segment. He, j- he just seems like he's managing up tight. Like he knows something's going to go wrong and he's just trying to limit the damage of it. If ever there was a moment that symbolized where the Cardinals are at as a team, it was that one on Saturday. You're down one to nothing. Your offense is scuffling. You're pitching like it finally it, it kept you in the game. 
Montgomery was awesome. In I that feel one, so man. bad for Jordan Montgomery. He was awesome. He's been great for you all season long. And you're going up against Kershaw. So I'm not even mad at the offense for like the first seven innings of that game. Kershaw was on his stuff on Saturday. But you got to, as a manager, give your team the best chance to win that game in that moment against that specific pitcher. And you didn't do it. Your job as a coach is to put your team, your players in a position to succeed. And on Saturday night, I thought Ollie Mar- Marmel fell short. Coming up in 15 minutes, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. But coming up next, we lost a good one, a great one, really, here in St. Louis over the weekend. Mike Shannon passed away. We will talk with one of his dear friends, MLB umpire. He, record, he uh, umpired an MLB record 43 seasons Joe West, Cowboy Joe, coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. It was another tough day yesterday in St. Louis as Cardinals broadcaster for 50 years. Mike Shannon passed away at the age of 83. If you've spent any amount of time on social media over the weekend, I'm sure you have seen a million different people sharing all of their stories, all of their memories of Mike Shannon. And we wanted to make sure that we did the same uh, this morning here on BK and Ferrario. And we are happy to be joined by Mike Shannon's friend, umpire in Major League Baseball for 43 seasons. Joe West joining us now here on 101 ESPN. Joe, we appreciate the time. Sorry it's under these circumstances. How are you doing today? Well, yesterday was one of the toughest days I've had in a long time. I just, we we lost a good friend. uh, I lost a good friend. My wife lost a good friend. My wife worked for him for over 20 years at his restaurants, and um, she was, uh, I mean, she was uh, just shaken up by the by the news, and uh, it was really tough to go through yesterday, and uh, um, it's, it's amazing how much he meant to that community, too, because uh, not only was he a friend of ours, he was a friend of the whole St. Louis area, you know, he... Uh, he raised millions of dollars for his alma mater where he went to school. And um, after my wife was inducted in the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame, uh, he started a woman's scholarship uh, to go to college. I mean, he just he did so many great things for the community, and um, uh, he's going to be sorely missed. You know, he was he raised money for the, the fallen soldiers and policemen and first responders. Uh, and uh, he was just a great person, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna miss him. Joe, can you tell us a little bit about your your first experiences with Mike? How, how did your friendship grow to be what it was? Where I mean, I, from what I understand, you were at Shannon's quite a bit on Saturday nights as he was doing his shows. 
How did that relationship grow between the two of you? Well, um, he and Jack Bug used to both stop by the umpire's locker room after they do their interviews on the field and just to say hello, and uh, which was a nice thing because very few people did that. Uh, but uh, he, he uh, and over the years, the topics would come up and we'd talk about them. I mean, uh, there, were, there were times that he'd agree with us on certain things that happened on the field. There were times that he'd disagree, and he wasn't afraid to tell you. <laughs> you know, but... Uh, and and uh, and you know the, the fact that my my wife now uh, she worked for him forever she she was just she was crushed yesterday from the news and uh, she said I I knew it was coming but you're never ready for it so and I don't I, I don't guess any of us were so uh, but he would he would stop by the locker room I remember one time he he came by there and he said you know. There's a whole bunch of political stuff going on in the country. And he says, you know, the only official real authority left is the umpire. <laughs> you're, the, you're the only ones that can't appeal the decision. <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was talking back and forth. And, um, but uh, over, over the years, I mean, I played in his golf tournaments. I, I uh, tried to help him with whatever fundraisers he had going. He was, he uh, and his wife, Lori, she's such a special person that, and I, I give I give her credit. The last couple of years have been tough on her. I, I know she wasn't there when he had the kidney ailment, but she was there when he fought COVID, and he beat that, and he was near death there, and uh, and he made it out of that. But uh, he was he was quite quite the special person, and he he was not afraid to to uh, stand up to what he thought was right or what for what he thought was right. Uh, and, and I'll give you a, a little statement that, uh, somebody said about me one time and, and it really applied more to Mike than it did me. He had the ability to walk with Kings and never lose touch with the common man. So that was quite, he was quite special. Yeah, that's a, that's a great quote there too, uh, Joe, because I heard Mike Claiborne talk about, uh, the impact of Mike Shannon. And he said he never met a stranger, which always made people feel welcome around Mike Shannon. And, you know, I, I, the main reason I really wanted to talk with you, Joe, is because of the memories that you built with Mike, not just in games, but it was after games. And I, I used to work at KMOX. So those Saturday nights at uh, live at Shannon's that they used to host, I would be there as an intern or helping out with whatever possible. And the main reason I thought to talk to you is because I always remember after a game, Cowboy Joe West would walk into Shannon's, he'd sit down at the table, whomever they were interviewing, and they would just chat. And I would imagine the stories, the knowledge of the game, the people that you met, a lot of that was because of Mike Shannon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, we were <laughs> his, his story that he hated the most was that they opened the season uh, somewhere, and he went over for 4. And uh, he said, and they called the game off, but we kept all the statistics. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I used to always tell him, yeah, but Mike, your batting average didn't go down. You were batting zero when the season. <laughs> he said, yeah, but yeah, but 0 for 4 is tough to make up. <laughs> 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 but, uh, yeah, we we had uh, a lot of a lot of. Good times together. He used to play in some golf. He used to come back to North Carolina where I, I grew up and play in a, a tournament for the mayor up there. He and Rabowski and Bucky Dent and a bunch of them would come. Whitey came up one time. and uh, Anyway, uh, he would come up there and, and 
they were he was friends with the Cunningham family, and uh, of course Cunningham and, and the ex mayor of Greenville, North Carolina, they were in World War II together. And after knowing them, I I don't know how we won World War II because, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and he was always happy, full of joy, trying to do whatever he could to help him raise money for whatever cause there was. But I mean, again, he he just. Uh, he was a fighter, and he was a man of strong character. And uh, and it was, you're right; those radio shows were really fun. Uh, but uh, because you could get into stories that, that that would that would make you laugh. Like I remember one time when he said, uh, "There was a lot of pressure in your job, wasn't there?" And I said, "No, there's no pressure in my job." And he he said, "Really?" I said, "No." He said, "Well, what do you consider pressure?" And I said, well, pressure is when your boat, your house, your car, your wife, and your girlfriend are 60 days late. That's pressure. (laughs) I'll give him credit. He went right to a commercial. (laughs) (laughs) But but I'm going to miss him. He was a good friend. He was a good friend. And I know you guys will, too. He was, he was very special. And, and yeah. he had, as you know, Joe, such a special relationship with this city. We're talking with Joe West, uh, Major League Baseball umpire for 43 seasons, more than 5,400 games, uh, both of those Major League records. But more importantly for today, a, a dear friend of Mike Shannon. And Joe, his relationship with this city, I think, is one that I don't know that I've got another great comparison for it. He grew up here. He went to the University of Missouri. He's then drafted by the Cardinals, plays for the Cardinals, goes to three World Series, wins two of them, and then almost immediately upon the end of his career becomes a broadcaster and sits in that booth for the next 50 seasons where he is the soundtrack to the summer in one of the most baseball-craved cities in America. How unique for you, from your perspective, was that relationship that he and this city had? Well, you're forgetting one other thing. You know, his uh, his restaurant was absolutely strictly Anheuser Busch. He was loyal to the to the Anheuser Busch people uh, because they were a St. Louis company. He didn't he didn't carry Miller Lite there. <laughs> in fact. In fact, we had a, a lady come in there one night when we were sitting around after his radio show, and she said, oh, you can't tell the difference. Uh, you can't tell the difference between a Miller and a, and a Budweiser. He said, I can tell the difference. And so he, he actually sent one of the uh, servers over to uh, that Hooters bar over there to buy a Miller Lite to bring it back so she could he could win a bet with this lady as to <laughs> how he could tell the difference, and he, and he won. <laughs> but... Uh, I mean, just the uniqueness of him. He was he was a, a man's man. He was uh, he was great with kids. He was great with adults. I mean, his restaurants give you credit for that. I mean, and like you said, he he never met a stranger, and it was really unique in, in his ability to to be one of the guys. And like I said, he could walk with kings and never lose touch with a common man. Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure for us to be able to catch up with you today and uh, hear some of your stories uh, and your relationship with Mike Shannon. Sincere appreciation to you for for doing this with us today. I know it's a tough time for you, for the family, and 
for really all of St. Louis. Thanks so much for doing this, and we wish you and the family all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. That's Joe West. Uh, umpired a major league record 43 seasons, more than 5,400 games, uh, and was a dear friend of Mike Shannon, Cardinals broadcaster. If you missed the news yesterday, uh, for more than 50 years, passed away at the age of 83. Alex, for me, what I, what I remember when I when I think Mike Shannon, I was talking to my wife about this yesterday as the news broke and we were kind of going back and forth. She grew up here, of course. I, I'm new to the city, relatively speaking, but I mean, I've been around St. Louis or at Mizzou for the last 15 years. So I've heard plenty of Mike Shannon in that stretch. What I think is special among many things about him and the, the relationship he has here is how everybody has a Mike Shannon memory. Mm-hmm. Like whether it was listening to the radio or if it was like you going to Shannon's for, for the live show there, or it was you just <clears throat> seeing him somewhere, you go to a bar, he happens to be there. You're going to the, the horse races. He yep. happens to be there. Like everybody's got something. Hell, my, my father-in-law, when he found out that Joe West was coming on yesterday, he had a Joe West story with Mike Shannon. Like everybody's got something that they can go back to in the back of their mind and say, this is my Shannon story. And that that's just who he was. Yeah, he was. And, and I mean, I had the pleasure, of course, as I mentioned, I, I worked at KMOX before here and uh, I ran the Cardinals uh, broadcast back at the station for a couple of years. And then I was working at the stadium covering the game. And and I'll never forget that, you know, I was a little intimidated by Mike Shannon because growing up in St. Louis, always loving the Cardinals, like you hear about the legends and you're like, oh, gosh, I would imagine, you know, you put him on a pedestal. And I'll, I'll never forget Mike Claiborne, of course, brought me up to the broadcast booth and he's like, here, sit down and talk with Mike. And I probably sat there for a good 45 minutes to an hour like leading up to first pitch and he was just chatting asking about me which again to what Joe West was talking about you know it's a you, ridiculous thing like Mike Sheehan yes. asking about one of us he <laughs> asked where I went to high school he asked me if I played sports and what my sport was it was like I was talking to to a dad or something and you know as Joe mentioned he walked with kings but he always made everyone else feel like they were royalty that's who Mike Shannon was and, and I mean Saturday night I don't want to understate this Saturday night home games for the Cardinals for 20 plus years. I mean, it was appointment radio to where you would go to the game and then you would go, you and your group would go to Shannon's and you'd try to get into the restaurant because it would be sold out. So you could be there for the live at Shannon's broadcast where it was Bob Gibson showing up. I mean, they would have Hall of Famers and legends and commissioners come by to just chat with Mike Shannon all night long. And and, I mean, those are the memories that I have of just sitting there listening to him, Mike Claiborne and whomever their guest was just tell stories about baseball all evening. He's a legend. Uh, We'll talk more about this coming up at one o'clock with Bob Costas. Uh, The St. Louis will join us to discuss his memories of Mike Shannon. Costas has a million of them. He'll he'll join us coming up at one o'clock. Looking forward to that. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. That laser worked good. It did. Woo-wee. I mean, he put a laser on it, man. He went down like a sack of onions. (laughs) He did. (laughs) It'll take him a little while to get his heart beating. Woo-wee. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK 
Kay and Ferrario's questions and answers. Brought to you by Insperity. Do HR issues have you boxed in? Expand your possibilities at Insperity.com. Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Lots to get into coming up later today. Katie Wu at noon. We've got Bob Costas at 1 o'clock. But first, let's get to some of your questions from the 314. Guys, there's a lot of talk about the pitching and the lack of defense, but do you think that's happening because both phases have to be perfect with this offense not being dependable night to night? I think they're all correlated. I think if you get strong starting pitching if one thing goes wrong whether it's a defensive error or if a pitcher has one bad inning that's a couple of runs then it snowballs because you know the offense is struggling and if the offense starts hitting then the pitching and defense starts to get a little tighter because they know oh man this offense is a little bit of a tight jam we got to make sure that we go perfect in this spot so Every game, it feels like all three sides, whether it's defense, pitching, or offense, knows that they have to be perfect if they want to win. And when you're stressed about one thing going wrong, then the next thing is going to fall apart. And then when that happens, welcome to the snowball effect. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think they're correlated. In fact, I might even lean more towards, I think the offensive struggles have been partly because they know they have to press to score runs with the way the pitching staff's been performing. Ever since really the first homestand of the year. I mean, they were giving up a ton of runs and it was essentially, Hey, it's going to take five runs to win a baseball game on most nights. And I think you started to see after that first homestand, when they went to Milwaukee, they started to press. I think you started to see the offense go, man, we've really got to put up a hell of a show for us to have a shot because our pitching's not performing well. And ever since then, it's just snowballed to where, where, you, where we are now, where they're 10 games back in the NL central. Yeah. I've got nothing more to add. Totally agree with you guys from the six, one, eight guys. What do you think of the president's trophy curse? Is it officially real? now of the 18 teams that have finished first overall in the cap era 13 failed to get out of the second round of the playoffs and we saw it again this year with boston is this officially a thing yeah i I mean you can't deny it anymore i mean the chicago blackhawks are the last team to win it with the president's trophy but that was the shortened season it doesn't count you can't deny it I, i mean the other factor into this is don't play Sergei Bobrowski in the first round if your huh. team has one of the best records because Tampa choked in 2019 and then, of course, this one. But look, this is what happens when you slow play your way through the regular season, when you don't have the competition that the playoffs present. When you're a team that's got a target on your back, Florida had nothing to lose, and they played that way. They chased the guy who's going to win the Vezina Trophy and forced Boston to play a goaltender who hadn't played in the entire series in the most pivotal game of the series. So, yeah, I would say the President's Trophy thing is a curse. I'd agree. I, I, I think part of it comes down to usually a team that wins the President's Trophy doesn't run into a ton of adversity in the regular season so when you start to hit kind of that snowball effect that Boston had I mean they went up 3-1 and all of a sudden it gets to 3-2 3-3 and your goaltending's playing poorly you don't know what to do you haven't experienced that all season long and and that's why I always say you need to experience some turbulence in a season maybe not so much like what the Cardinals are doing right now but I I think that's part of it usually your President's Trophy teams coast through the regular season the first sign of adversity adversity, and everything just crumbles down upon them the tough part of that too is when you got a team that barely squeaks into the playoffs like Florida did who was in a playoff mindset for the final month of the season again those teams backs are against the wall from game one so they can be down three games to none in a series and still fight their way back it is also worth noting that they dealt with some serious injury issues in this series too I mean there were games where they were playing down two of their top three centers and 
The crazy part is when Patrice Bergeron did play, I think I have this correct. I think they were 0-3 with Bergeron in the lineup. Yeah. Um, this David is, Krejci, too. I think they're 0-2 with him in the lineup. I think he was like 1-3, something was like that. It, it was just a weird series. And this is the thing that is great and crazy about the NHL playoffs. Man, weird stuff happens. And the NBA playoffs, T-Bone, I know you're a big NBA guy. We all assumed Golden State was going to advance past the first round of the playoffs. Despite the fact that I got to a game seven, it was a hell of a series for the most part. When you get to a game seven, what matters? Well, one of these teams has Steph Curry and the other doesn't. Guess what Steph Steph Curry did? Casually dropped 50. 50 points for the first time in game seven in the history of the NBA playoffs. Like that's how it goes typically in the NBA. The NHL, it is not that way. Anything can happen in the NHL playoffs, and this was just the latest example of that. I don't know that I totally buy into the President's Trophy curse the way that other people do. I just think that's symbolic of what these playoffs are and what they have been, really, for the last 20 years. Just because you're excellent in the regular regular season does not guarantee you playoff success, especially when you're going up against Matthew Kachuk. I think when you put a target on your back as the best team in the regular season in NHL history or a team that won the best overall record and good at everything, you become a target for everyone else that's going to play you and you know you're going to get their best game every single night. Coming up next, Katie Wu, Cardinals insider for The Athletic. What does she make of the strange moves managing Saturday and when she talks to players around that clubhouse over the weekend, what's going through their heads right now? We'll talk to Katie about all of that coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. The Cardinals are in a historically bad start to the season. They're 10 and 19. It's the worst start since 1973. They have also tied a 116 year old club record by being 10 games out of first place before May 1st. And right now we're talking it all over with the Cardinals insider for the athletic. She's Katie Wu joining us here on 101 ESPN as she does each and every Monday. Katie, we appreciate the time as always. I hope Los Angeles treated you better than the Cardinals did. How are you doing today? Guys, uh, good afternoon, and let's say a goodbye and good riddance to April. Uh, not sure what that was, but I don't think it'll be missed by really anyone associated with the Cardinals. Uh, I think we got to kind of cross our fingers here and hope that May will be better, but the bar is low. Well, you know the, the saying, Katie, April showers bring May flowers, and the showers are all of Cardinals fans' tears for the entire month of April. <laughs> yeah, it was a very much just... I think the end of the road trip really capitalized just what was a brutal month for the Cardinals. And I don't even know where to start. I think because if you focus on one area, you can make the argument that another area was even worse and just all around, not good vibes for this first month of the season. Terrible vibes. And that is what I wanted to begin with you on Katie, because you have a good story up in the athletic right now. People can read it over there. They can find it on your Twitter account at Katie J. Wu. It's got quotes from Arenado, Goldie, Michaelis, Ali Marmel on the Cardinal struggles so far this year. Katie, when you talked with the people on the team around the team, what are they feeling right now about the fact that they're 10 and 19 after the first month? You know, I think before the road trip, there was frustration, but ample optimism that, you know, this is not who we are. We can turn this around. We have the talent. And then after this two and eight road trip, where especially the California portion, the Cardinals just looked completely unrecognizable. It is now a matter of 
is this actually who we are? Because the team does not think so. You can go around the roster and go around the lineup and point to positives and ceilings for every player. But now it's a matter of we played like this for a month. What if this is who we are? And, you know, this is certainly not a group that's going to concede to that, but it's also a group that understands the urgency at which they must win. You know, you can't win a division in April. We know that. But you can certainly lose one. And I think the Cardinals are feeling the pressure on May 1st to turn this around. It's just a matter of do they actually have the right pieces? Do they actually have the ability to click and gel? You can pinpoint individual performances, individual players. I know a lot of the guys really haven't gotten going, Miles Michaels, Nolan Arenado included. But now it's not a matter of if there's enough individual talent, because they do believe that there is. It's a matter of is there enough talent from a team perspective to turn this around? I think that the the concerning part too, Katie, and I saw Nolan Arenado say this over the weekend, that like he even said it's hard for me to stand up and try and get everybody going when I'm not backing up those those numbers in my play. And other than Paul Goldschmidt, who has been really consistent all season if you're talking about Michaelis if you're talking about Flaherty if you're talking about Arenado like the guys that you would anticipate to stand up and say guys we need to get this going they're the ones that are struggling right now which seems to be a little bit of a fault in trying to get this clubhouse to rally absolutely and I think that's what's going to make Adam Wainwright's upcoming return so important I mean he pitched a lot of foreign runs, one coming on a three-run home run, uh, so one swing. Allowed seven hits, struck out nine, and only walked one through five and two-thirds in what should be his final rehab start with Memphis. He could be back to the Cardinals as early as Friday, but I'm sure, as in a, from a pitching standpoint, but I'm sure he'll be the, one of the first in the clubhouse on Tuesday. And I think that's where the Cardinals really need him right now. They need a leadership that's a leader that's going to step up and right the ship internally. We can debate back and forth what Adam Wainwright can do on the field. But I think when it comes from an inside the clubhouse perspective, there is no one the Cardinals need more than Wainwright and his leadership and his experience. Paul Goldschmidt is 100% a leader. I'm in no means discrediting that. He's one of those quieter leaders. He's going to take players one by one. He's going to talk to them individually. Nolan Arenado is someone who leads on the field. And as you said, it's hard to lead when you're not performing up to expectations on the field, especially when you're as competitive as Nolan is. But Adam Wainwright has been through it all throughout his career. And I think his leadership is invaluable and could not be more necessary for this Cardinals team right now. All right, Katie, Nolan Arenado is another player that I wanted to ask you about because he is really struggling. Five for 38 on the road trip. He did not have an extra base hit or a walk in the Cardinals last 10 games. What is going on right now with Nolan and what is the level of confidence that like at some point he's going to break through? This is too good of a player not to, but what is the level of confidence that he's close to breaking out? Oh, yeah. Like you said, I don't think anyone thinks that this is the Nolan Arenado that you're going to get all season. Just like most people thought this is not the Cardinals team you're going to get all season. Um, but, you know, it's, it's obvious he's going through it right now. You can just tell by his quality of at-bats. You can tell by his demeanor. I think this is someone who is probably one of the biggest competitors in baseball, if not in sports. And he's really feeling the stress of trying to contribute for his team. Nolan Arenado stayed in St. Louis because he wants to win a World Series and he believes this is his best option. We know how much money he presumably left on the table by not opting out of his, con- of his contract. So for him to stay and to be counted on as a key contributor and key leader of this group and not start out the season the way that he wanted to, especially the way that he was hitting at the World Baseball Classic, I think he's feeling that frustration more than anyone. So there's optimism that you know he'll go into the off day completely take a day off from baseball, though I'm not sure if that's possible for him, and come back and hopefully right the ship against the Angels and the Tigers. Um, no one's, again, worried about Nolan or doubting Nolan, but I think he is 
I don't want to say pressing, but I think he might be in just in terms of feeling the pressure to get something going for himself and for his team. Katie, it's it's been a week since Jordan Walker was sent down to Memphis. In that time frame, what have you learned about this outfield? Huh. Oh my gosh, that was the longest week of my life. <laughs> so, so much went down on this road trip. So let's let's look about the outfield because I think this is going to be one of the biggest points over the next couple of weeks. When you look at the four guys, Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, Lars Mayfair, Alec Burleson, you can make the argument that all four have high ceilings and different potentials in different ways. You're truly looking at four different types of outfielders. Right now, Ollie Marmol is tasked with kind of what feels like impossible. It is granting enough ability for these players to go out and show what their expectations are while still finding ways to win games consistently. And both sides have not been able to do that. So when you're looking at the outfield, you want to give Tyler O'Neill the opportunity to, to run and play left field every day. He's their best left fielder. He has the power. But what can be expected from Tyler? We've seen the ceiling. For me, Tyler O'Neill's ceiling is 2021 second half when he was like the best baseball player on the planet. But is that ceiling sustainable enough to be the expectation of what Tyler can do? So far this season, he hasn't shown that. Dylan Carlson, in my opinion, the metrics might not always back this up but is their best defensive option in center field. We also know that for Dylan Carlson to reach his full, uh, his full ceiling, he needs to hit better from the left-handed side. He hasn't done that as well as the Cardinals have wanted him to. They've seen improvements, but it's not where their full expectation should be. But they, you know, this, when you're experimenting with guys like this and giving them the opportunity to go out and play, you also have to see, okay, if they do so-and-so XYZ over a period of weeks and they don't perform up to their ceiling, maybe this is their new expectation. So that's what the what Ollie Marmol is looking for for the outfield. It's what can we expect out of these guys? The Cardinals are begging one of those four outfielders to take their opportunity and run with it because they do want to see Jordan Walker back in the big leagues, preferably as soon as possible. I don't think they really wanted to option him in the first place. But to do so, to create ample opportunity for the four other outfielders, they have to have a chance to go out and run with that ability. So that's what the Cardinals are waiting for. They're waiting to see if one player can go out and seize that opportunity and cement themselves as the starting outfielder and see which of the four is closest to reaching their ceiling. Katie, final question that I have for you. We're talking to Katie Wu of The Athletic. She's joining us here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate her hopping on with us on Mondays after a big Cardinals weekend. Uh, you mentioned Dylan Carlson and his struggles against right-handed pitching. I told you before we were going to be talking about this today. I, I had a huge issue with him hitting in that spot on Saturday night. Cardinals down one nothing. runner on. Gratterall's on the mound. That's a right-handed pitcher. He keeps people on the ground quite a lot because he is that sinker baller. And all he had, Nolan Gorman, as an option coming off of the bench. Earlier today, we talked about it. I thought T-Bone made a really good point. If this is a team that's five games above 500 or maybe even at 500, maybe we're discussing this a little bit differently. But they're not. They were at that point, I think, eight games under 500 going into the night. And you gave up an opportunity to give yourself a platoon advantage. When you talked to Ollie after the game, other than just, hey, he had two really good catchers earlier in the day. What was the explanation for that? What was he going with there? Yeah, let's you know what, let's break this down because I thought that was a really interesting decision by Ollie that allows us, whether it's media, fans, whoever, to see the kind of complexities that he is facing with right now. Dylan Carlson in that game was by far the Cardinals' most productive player. Yes, he had those two catches in center field. He also broke up Clayton Kershaw's perfect game bid. He all around, by whatever degree you're measuring, had the most impactful performance from the Cardinals. We just referenced what the Cardinals management and front office wants to see from their outfielders. They want to see someone seize that opportunity. 
So when you are down to your final out, runner on first, one nothing, game can change in the swing of a bat. Ollie Marmel stuck with Dylan Carlson. And you can make the argument he should have gone with Nolan Gorman based on the way Nolan Gorman was swinging the bat. I actually probably would have gone with Alec Burleson if I was making a change there. But Ollie stuck with Dylan Carlson because at some point they need to give Dylan the chance to show what he can do. And it actually tied in perfectly to what we had talked about with Ollie pregame. I'd asked, what do the Cardinals need to see from Dylan to further evaluate him? And he said straight up, we need to see better bats from the left side. So that's an opportunity for Dylan right there to go out and seize it, to go out and prove himself. Just like the Cardinals are begging one of their four outfielders to do. It did not work out, obviously. But for that to not have the – when you talk to Dylan after and you saw what it meant for him to have that opportunity, obviously he said, obviously, I wish the result was different. But it meant a lot to him to have that confidence from his manager to go out there and perform. If you go out there and you're Dylan and you single-handedly keep the Cardinals in that ball game, and all of a sudden you're on deck and you look at your manager and he's motioning to come back and you see a lefty coming up, if you're Dylan, you're thinking, what do I have to do to get this opportunity and prove it? They say they want us to go prove ourselves, but none of us are having the opportunities to do so. So I thought that was a really interesting juxtaposition. And you can argue with the strategy all, all you want. I think the Cardinals for the majority of the time, goes with the analytics say. So when Ollie does something feel-based, it doesn't make any sense. But I absolutely understood why Dylan Carlson remained. I actually kind of agreed with it because at some point, you have to know what these players are capable of doing. It's unfortunate that it also feels like the Cardinals have to play nearly perfect baseball just to stay in a ball game. And when you are down one nothing and you are struggling in the standings and you are 8, 9, 10 games under five hundred, and you from the analytics side, squander an opportunity, if you will, to, to score there and to possibly win the game, it's frustrating. But how can the Cardinals go out there and tell their outfielders to go seize an opportunity if they're never given a chance? Katie, we appreciate the time as always. I, I always appreciate you at least giving us the Cardinals perspective, whether we agree with it or disagree with it. That's not the important part, but it's just understanding where they're coming from. So we appreciate you doing that. And we certainly appreciate the story earlier today over on The Athletic. Got great quotes from Arenado, Goldie, Michaelis, Ollie. It's all over on The Athletic right now. Katie Wu is our guest. You can follow her on Twitter at Katie J. Wu. Katie, enjoy this homestand. Hopefully we've got something more positive to talk about next week. And we'll talk with you then. Thanks, guys. We'll see you uh, hopefully Wednesday for Otani. I am so excited about that. Have a great week. I will be there. I will see you there. That is Katie Wu joining us here on 101 ESPN. I get where Katie's coming from, and I appreciate her perspective. Most importantly, let's keep in mind, she's giving us what the Cardinals are, are, are saying. She's giving us their explanation for why it happened. I could not disagree with it any more than I do. I flat out could not disagree with it. And here's why. Here would be my explanation to Dylan Carlson if he did come back to the dugout and said, what do I need to do to get more opportunities? I would tell him, you're going to get an opportunity. Tomorrow against Noah Syndergaard, he is a right-handed pitcher. You're going to go out there and get an opportunity against him. You're going to start against Noah Syndergaard. You're going to start for us later on this week against any other right-handed pitchers that we're going up against. A gentleman by the name of Griffin Canning is going to be starting oh, on Thursday for the L.A. Angels. He's You're going to get a out. start for him. Shohei Otani, he's going to start for the Angels on Wednesday. You're going to get a start against him. That's going to be a great game for Dylan. He may need a day off. Agreed. But if you're going to get the, those opportunities, that's where you do it. Because then you at least also get the added benefit of six innings or so, at a minimum, of him in the outfield. This is not the spot to learn. It's not. This is a this is like utilizing Chris Stratton 
in a one to nothing Cardinals win to find out, hmm, let's find out what this guy's made of. You would never do that. That would not be a good decision. Yeah, but the difference there is that's a guy that you already know what his ceiling is, and I guess you're still trying to figure out what Carlson's ceiling is. Jordan Hicks. He looks like he's turned things around, right? How would you feel if, hey, Ryan Helsley's down, Gio's been really good this year, but we kind of want to find out if Jordan Hicks can get back into his spot of like being a real high leverage spot. Cardinals up one nothing in the ninth inning. Do you go to Gio there, or do you go to uh, Jordan Hicks? In no scenario. Just because I want to see you pissed off, I'll go Jordan Hicks. Does it make sense to go with Jordan Hicks there? <laughs> but that's the way you explain it is we got to find out, is he really back to being in high leverage spots again? The answer is probably no, and that's okay. Go to Gio there. He's your best dude. Nolan Gorman was your best option in that spot. If you want to argue Alec Burleson, I'd be curious to see what the numbers look like there as to why you go that route, but I could at least listen to it. He's definitively better in that spot than Dylan Carlson is. There was no explanation for it. None. That would make me change my mind on this. I appreciate Katie giving us the perspective. I could not disagree with it anymore. Coming up next, in or out, 314-399-9646 here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with PK and Ferrario brought to you by train heating and cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. Four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service tax line. You give us a scenario, we will tell you if we are in or out here on 101 ESPN. All right, guys, let's start with this. In or out, Tyler O'Neill should be traded by the end of the week. Uh, we know who's in on that one. You want to start us off, big boy? Can somebody explain to me what the value is of Tyler O'Neill right now? Somebody? Just anybody. Anybody going to tell me what Tyler O'Neill brings to the table that is better than your alternatives currently? Body image. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. fair. Man looks awesome. He does. He looks I like, like Tyler O'Neill personally. That's the other thing that stinks about all of this. I think Tyler O'Neill is a genuinely good dude. I've never had any interactions with him that are unpleasant. He's an all-around He's Canadian. Of course he's guy. pleasant. I'm always scared he could beat me up. Baseball-wise, yeah. it has gone incredibly poorly this year for him. And at some point, to Katie, what Katie said to us in the last segment... You have to go even a step further from what they did earlier this season where they decided to send down Jordan Walker to simplify things in the outfield. You got to get one of these guys off of the roster entirely. And if I was picking the one to give up on, it is Tyler O'Neill. I would say I think Tyler O'Neill should be traded as soon as they can get a reasonable deal for him. Don't even try to maximize the return at this point. I'd say in on him too. And I fully anticipate you trading him and him going somewhere else and having all of the success that you anticipate. But as I say with Randy Rosarena, it obviously wasn't working here with Tyler O'Neill. And I think we saw the downfall of Tyler O'Neill when Ollie called him out. That was the beginning of the end for Tyler O'Neill in St. Louis. And since then, it's just been inconsistent. Uh, I mean, as well, I at this point, it's clear that the 2021 version of himself was just a blimp on the radar. He, he's clearly not shown the tools to get back to that. I still think he can be a five-star player or a five-tool player, excuse me, but I, I don't think you can continue to run it back. I, I think he's one of those guys that had that one good year and is going to stick around the majors for a long time because of it. And, and honestly, I know he wasn't a part of this question. I, I'm done on 
Dylan Carlson. I, I know he cannot hit right-handed pitching. If you want to have him as a platoon bat, I'm fine with it, but I don't want to see him start against right-handed pitching. I'm done with him as well. Send him down. I, I don't even necessarily mind him getting starts against right-handed pitchers. I don't think it's a great option, but you don't have good options right now, so whatever. And he's good defensively. In center field, he does a pretty good job. I don't think he's anything approaching what Harrison Bader was for you, but he's solid. He, he's pretty good defensively out there. So if you want to do that, fine, whatever. But you need all of the other guys in the lineup to hit. If you're going to have Carlson out there every day, it means that Nolan Arenado's got to get things back on track immediately. It means that Lars Newpar has got to be the guy that you expected him to be at the top of the order. It means he's got to start hitting for some power, too. Alec Burleson's gone through a little bit of a slump here. Like You need the other guys to start hitting better to make up for the lack of production that you're getting from both he and Tommy Edmond against right-handed pitchers. Alex, what do you have for in or out? Uh, in or out, fellas, the team that wins the Stanley Cup this year is going to be a team from the Eastern Conference. Oh, in. I, I have zero confidence in who I'm picking from the Western side of things in terms of the next round of the playoffs. Zero confidence. We we're going through this earlier today. T-Bone had confidence in it. One, maybe even both of the series. Hey, man. I could see the Kraken beating the Stars. I could see that going the other direction. I could see the Oilers beating Golden's, uh, the Golden Knights. I could see it going the other direction. Why? Because I don't trust any of the goaltending in these series. And I don't think any of them are overwhelmingly great in any other area other than the Oilers with, obviously, their offense. But their defense is so porous that I have no idea what that's going to look like against Vegas. So, yeah, I think that the best teams are coming out of the Eastern Conference, and I don't think it's particularly close. Yeah, I think I'm in as well. The Eastern Conference is just so much deeper. I, I, I look at the West. We've had this conversation. Not only is it tough to kind of figure out where who could come from each series, but you could look at this and go, man, the Blues don't have one seven-game winning streak. They could be in the playoffs. Like, if I have to say that about the Western Conference, the West isn't that great. And there's massive holes on each side. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be a team from the East. And I actually really like Toronto in the Eastern Conference. I was just going to say I'm in, and I would say put all your money on the Toronto Maple Leafs right now because Toronto just got over a hump that they haven't been able to stop in 17-plus years. No, 20 years. Um, they're going to be a dangerous team right now. And the fact that they got through that first round uh, between Toronto, Florida, and I'm not too sure about the other two teams, but Toronto and Florida, I think the winner of that series is going to be your Stanley Cup champion. Who you got tonight? Rangers, Devils. I got the Devils. I got I think the, the Rangers. Ra- well, of course you do. I think the Rangers uh, backed themselves way too deep into a corner. I've got the Rangers as well. You guys know that's my squad. Chris Kreider. It should be your squad in terms of lose so that you can make a trade with them in the offseason. That, that, that's come on, man. They got Keandre Miller, Alexis Lafreniere. You want Chris Kreider? Let's get after it. I would also add this. Whoever you think is going to win tonight in that series, that would be who I would bet on from a pure odds perspective. Devils are 12 to one. Rangers are 13 to one. Only the Kraken have a longer odds right now to win the Stanley Cup. That's because one of them has to win the next game and it's a 50-50 shot there. But I would bet on one of those two teams to to win the cup. I think from an odds perspective, that's where you get the best value. T-Bone, what do you have for in or out? We were kind of talking about this in the office. In or out, we see two roster moves tomorrow for the St. Louis Cardinals. Don't know what they are. At least two. At least two. In. I, I think you'll have more than two roster moves tomorrow. I think this six is, roster moves. Might as well. No, you don't do anything with Arenado and Goldschmidt. I mean, you should option Arenado if he's got them. I think this is a perfect opportunity for Mo to put his stamp on finishing this 
losing stretch What right are you now. talking about? He's been putting a stamp on trying to, and he keeps sending the lineup card out, and it keeps failing. Uh, I think you send down Jake Woodford. Uh, I will remember. I think you make some other move in the bullpen. I don't know specifically what it is. I would call up Matthew Liberator. I would say he's making his next start. I think I would send Steven Matz to the bullpen. So you got Wayno and Liberator instead of Matz and Woodford. I think that improves you there. I would DFA Taylor Motter. I would bring up Juan Yepes. Um, and I would be trying to trade Tyler O'Neill right now and trying to get something in return. And hopefully after that, I think you need another like six or seven days. But after that, you bring up Jordan Walker. Those would be the moves that I would try to make right now. Yeah, I would say I'm in on this one. I, I There's just no possible way that you can look at what just took place on that road trip and leave the team as is. You're going to have to make some type of significant move. I'm with you on the Libertor front. Um, the Jordan Walker thing makes a ton of sense. And like, bring up bleeping Lanyapes. Don't give me the ish anymore of, oh, I don't know where to play him. Find a spot to play him because he hits the damn ball. And frankly, not many people are doing that on your roster. And it's possible he's just a pinch hitter and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Just use him Make in the spot on that. He would have been a great op- great guy to put in that spot where Dylan Carlson was on Saturday. Now, obviously, they wouldn't have gone to him because they just wanted to make Dylan Carlson happy, make him feel good and feel, have the warm and fuzzies after he grounded out to end the game and lose for his team. But good God, man, at least he got the opportunity. I don't think he feels good you know, about that anymore. You know, it's going to be great. Taylor Motter gets DFA'd, again. signs a contract and then gets DFA'd again. Yeah, that's what I would do. I wow. would I would DFA my boy Motter. I think so. I, I mean, I, I also think I, I thought about doing this too for in or out. In or out, we see a coaching staff reshuffling if they go two and four on this road trip. Yeah, I, I, think I think they're getting gonna close to. to that point. You're going to have to. And I'm I not, don't know who. I'm not saying fire the manager because I don't think they'll do that. But there have been times before where they go through long skids and what do they do? They reshuffle the coaching staff. They either fire the pitching or hitting coach. I don't know who you'd fire. Both aren't very good in terms of the results of the hitting or pitching. And then they do one of those where it's, oh, well, we reassigned Pop Warner down to the minor leagues and -and so-and-so takes over as third base coach. Like they are, they have a slow homestand or they get off to a bad start, go two and four, three and three. I think you see a coaching reshuffling. I could see it, but I just don't know what you do. Like they're all in on Dusty Blake. Nobody was more in on anybody than the Cardinals were on Dusty Blake prior to the season. So I don't think that's the move. I don't, I don't think, think pitching's the problem right now, though. The funny thing is, if you look at the numbers, it's the biggest problem. Their starting pitching ERA so far this season is 20th. Um, yeah, but what about the last two times through the rotation? Like a lot of that is because of how awful they were in the first two weeks of the season. That's fair. They've gotten uh, better. But if you look at the offense, they're ninth in OPS plus this year. Their top 10 offense in Major League <laughs> not, Baseball. I doubt it in the last 10 games. <laughs> it's weird. This, <laughs> That's this is, not true. Can, can I be this honest? This is the whack-a-mole thing. Like, it's defense one night. It's starting pitching the next. Then it's the bullpen. Then it's the offense. Every night it's something new. I, I would let go of Blake, and I don't think they would do it. No, but there's no chance. It's very, much, it's very much the Jeff Howard situation. I, I think you'd see more of a Turner Ward before you'd see a Dusty Blake. I, I don't think either. I think they're all in on Turner Ward. I think they're all in on Dusty Blake. Gonna, I think if you see something, it's like a third or a first base coach. You're going to fire the third base coach. Yeah, I don't they're think they're fire the bullpen coach. I don't think they're firing Stubby Clap. Like he, no. This is the thing that's weird. Is like the guys that we're talking about maybe being fireable, I suppose, are guys that we've seen have like clear roles that helped define the season in previous years. Yeah, I don't you, think they just became bad coaches. But you got to do something because it's it, like I, I am the biggest advocate of like you can't blame the coaches, but when it's this bad and they look this unprepared, at some point you got to point and say, okay, something's not right with coaching for this team. And, and it's just a wake-up message. It's just, 
hey, something's got to change. And yeah, sorry, but you guys cost so-and-so their job. Yeah, I, I mean, essentially. I mean, that's what we were saying with Craig Bruby when they were going through the slump, and I pushed back on it, but it, it's it's how you get some type of wake-up call. Somebody says, get new bat boys. We need to send a clear message. Maybe that's it. Yeah, that was get, get a new Fredbird. You think that's what's going wrong? It's got to get the energy going, you know? He does Maybe seem to be lackluster. BT. Can't say what I was about to say. Coming up next is a Whoa. family program. Coming up next. This team will not get back on track until Nolan Arenado figures it out on the plate. We've got some numbers on what's going wrong for him right now. Who, buddy, is he going through it? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We've seen Nolan in and out of feeling good about his swing. This is a guy that's super intentional with his work, highly competitive and uh, obsessive in the way he goes about it. Uh, last year we saw a version of this in May, and then in June he, he went off. So it's a matter of time before we see Nolan doing what we know Nolan can do. Nolan Arenado is a problem for the Cardinals right now. That was Ollie Marmol after the game over the weekend. That audio courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest. In his last 15 games, this is dating back to the end of the Colorado series, guys. When he is in the lineup, the Cardinals are 5-11 and in this 16-game stretch. Why? Well, maybe because he's batting 172 with an on-base percentage below 200 and an OPS of 385. He has one extra base hit. It was a double and how many RBIs do you guys think Nolan Arenado has in his last 16 games, 15 of those being starts? This includes 66 plate appearances. I know this game. I'm saying one. Two. One. Let's oh. go! Well done, Alex Ferrario. One RBI in his last 15 starts. Guys, that should be impossible. Nolan Arenado is batting in the middle of the order every single day. And for all of the struggles that the Cardinals have had at the plate this year, they're still top 10 in Major League Baseball and on base percentage. They are getting guys on. They're just not driving them in. And Nolan Arenado is a big part of that problem. Alex, for all of the different things that we're going to talk about, and there are many that have gone wrong for the Cardinals, this team cannot be, forget the best version of itself, this team cannot even be a semblance of what they were expecting to be until Nolan Arenado at least reaches his level. Now, I'm not saying he's got to get back to like all-star MVP caliber performances. And he's got to start hitting like 250 with a little bit of extra base power because right now he's got none of it. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I think he does need to be all-star level Nolan Arenado for this team to get back into the winning column because they rely on him so much. And it goes back to the quote that I heard. I believe it was to Derek Gould saying like... I, I can't be the one that stands up and demands everybody to play better when I'm the one that's struggling. And think about that for a minute. Like Nolan Arenado is the fire that we've all talked about of the guy that can stand up and be the rah-rah player. And he's the external verbal motivator. You can't do that when you got one RBI in the last 15 starts at third base. Ryan O'Reilly early in the blue season. Exactly. And you need that. And as much as I push back on, well, this team can't succeed unless they have Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado hitting, I think everybody should be a part of that conversation, not just those two guys. But if you don't. They're also paid $30 million a year to make sure that they're. But, uh, I mean, for a team to have success, you got to have more than two guys leading the way. But. 
if you're two veterans, just like the Thomas and Cairo comp from this last year of two guys going to be making $8 million a year, if they're the ones that are causing a lot of the issues, well, then everybody else is going to follow that trend. So right now, yeah, you need a little bit more Nolan Arenado juice in that locker room. Yeah, I, I feel like Nolan Arenado is to the Cardinals what Ryan O'Reilly was to the Blues and that you just can't. There doesn't seem to be a good fit for him right now. They tried batting Goldie third earlier in the season. That didn't work. And now you've uh, put Nolan Gorman up at third. Like, nothing that happens around Arenado is changing the way that Arenado is playing right now. He's just not right. I don't know if that's a physical issue. I don't know if it's something mental. I don't know if, like, his swings do not look right right now at the plate. He, he doesn't look like himself. I don't know how you fix that. If it's something physically, well, then get it, allow that to get fixed, man, because right now it's not helping him to continue playing every day. If it's something that's mental and he's just got to work through this stuff, we've seen in the past he's gone through some significant slumps. I don't know that we've seen anything to this degree, though. This this feels worse than many of his slumps in previous years. And for all of the negatives of Nolan Arenado, I feel like you're looking at some of the positives that we saw with some of the young guys from the the Blues, specifically like, uh, I don't know, Pavel Buchnevich, for example. That's like Nolan Gorman, right? You've got some of these guys that are still performing at a high level that are younger, that are giving you excitement, but none of that matters, man, unless your middle of the order is hitting. Earlier this year, it was Wilson Contreras who wasn't right. Paul Goldschmidt went through that dry spell for a little while. Nolan Arenado has just never figured it out. Brendan Donovan wasn't getting on base when he was at the top of the lineup. He seems to kind of be finding his sea legs at this point. It's just always something. It's always something in the lineup right now. And until Arenado gets himself right, none of this other stuff really matters. That being said, T-Bone, you asked this in the last segment. You said, do you think it's over or under two roster moves that are made before the game starts tomorrow? I took the over. If you guys had to predict what the move or moves are tomorrow, what do you think gets done for the Cardinals? Is there anything specifically that you would start with and say, this is something that I would definitely make sure gets done prior to the game tomorrow? I would start with Juan Yepes being brought up. And I don't know what the retroactive move of that is. Probably modder. But I could see the Cardinals saying, well, we just signed him to a contract and he's our 26th roster spot. Maybe it is Dylan Carlson being sent down to the minors. Uh, Somebody goes on the injured list. I'd start with Juan Yepes because there's no point in continuing to deny that we don't have a spot for him. The spot needs to be in one through nine in the batting order so that you can get that bat in the lineup no matter what. Figure it out the rest of the way from there. That would be the way that I would start in terms of a roster move. Yeah, I, I think Yepes is the easy one. Call him up and just DFA Modern. I mean, Modern hadn't even played since they signed him, so I don't understand He's the point of that He's a great locker role. room guy, though. He must be. That's why they went on that two um, games uh, victory in that Yeah, two and eight trip. in that road trip. Um, I. I did take the over in the inner out segment when I asked the question because I think that's what they should do. I think it should be one of those where you call up Libertor and you send down Woodford just to have him on the roster. I don't think they make a move in the bullpen because the bullpen's been fine. I I think that might be the only move, though. I I would do I Libertor see, also. I The problem is, is Libertor wouldn't start for, what, I don't three, know if they would days. make that move now. They'll probably wait to make that move until I think his next start would be up here, like Friday or Saturday. Yeah. So it, it, I think it's a move that should be made. 
I want to make that clear. I'm totally with you, Alex, but they're not forced to do it until this weekend. Yeah, so I that, that's why I'm kind of skeptical. Maybe it is just the one move. Honestly, I could see where they don't do any moves. I could see where they decide to go into this and say, you know what, that's just a tough road trip. We think we believe in our guys. We're going to stick with them going into the game tomorrow night. I think that's totally wrong, but that feels like a Cardinals move, especially if you're going to justify hitting Carlson against a righty by having the you know good feelings, picking up good vibrations. I could see where they continue that and not make a roster move. Yeah, I, I just think there has to be something more, and I don't know what it is. I'm like, th- this is the thing that's frustrating with the Cardinals right now is, in 2021, in that June slump where it was almost the exact same record. They they had one fewer loss, but they played one fewer game. They were 10 and 17 in June of 2021. Their pitching was so bad. Their rotation was Wayno, Carlos Oviedo, KK Gant, and, and then eventually Wade LeBlanc was added to the mix. They just needed to stabilize. They needed to throw strikes. And it was very clear how you could go about adding some of those players. You go to free agency. You go to the trade deadline. You get players that can start throwing strikes for you from your rotation. I don't know that you have those obvious moves this time around. Like, this time it's, is Nolan Arenado going to get things back on track? Because if not, none of the rest of these things that are kind of on the tertiary really matter. Are you going to start getting a little something more from Tyler O'Neill? Is Lars Newbar eventually going to start hitting for power? What's Jordan Walker going to be when he gets back to the big league club? Like, those are the key pieces, and they're not performing well enough right now. Is Ryan Helsley going to stop uh, blowing saves for you? Are you going to have moments where you can trust Jordan Hicks, and then the next night you can't? What's going to go on with Zach Thompson? Because on, was that Saturday or yesterday, whatever it was, he couldn't find the strike zone. And there's been a couple of days so far this year where that's been the case, but for the most part, he's been really good. It's just... It's always something with this team, and it's the good players. Nolan Arenado had a weird play in the field over the weekend. Tommy Edmonds made, what, three or four errors now at second base? It's guys that should be good at the things that they're messing up right now, and I don't know how you fix that. Uh, I see a lot of people texting in on our Air Comfort Service text line and saying, trade Tyler O'Neill right now or make a trade. Guys, I hate to break it to you, but nobody's making a trade for the car- with the Cardinals Unless it's just give me that guy for cash considerations because these guys that's are struggling. The, that's the problem is like you need somebody to want Tyler O'Neill. And, and if is you're going to the time where somebody wants Tyler O'Neill, I think the answer is probably no. And if you're going to make a trade, you're making a trade to bring somebody in who can instill a little bit of energy into your clubhouse. And nobody's trading you that for what you're trying to trade away. You can't just make a trade when things are going bad. When things are going bad, teams look at it and say, well, I'm not trading with this team. Look how bad this guy is. Yeah, I mean, that's just where they're at. I think they waited too long on O'Neal, and there is no appetite to make a trade. And honestly, there's no appetite, even if the Cardinals were good, probably to make a trade, because it's still early in the year. A lot of teams are still figuring out what they have. I I think you're two and a half weeks away at the minimum till you're starting to see teams start to express interest in making deals happen. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll be joined by Bob Costas, broadcaster for MLB Network, a Sports Broadcasting Hall of Famer. He's going to join us uh, to remember the late, great Mike Shannon. He'll join us coming up at 1 o'clock. But coming up next, we're diving into the junk drawer with, for me, one of my favorite recent Mike Shannon moments. We'll do that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week.
junk drawer. Alex, one of my favorite things about the Mike Shannon experience when he was the broadcaster for the Cardinals was the live reads. You get into the middle of the game and Shannon gets to reading and you never knew what was going to come after that. It could incite a great story. It could just be him just going on with whatever. Like you just never knew where it was going to go from there. And it brought, in my opinion, a lot of joy to the broadcast. And one of my favorites was a read from Mike Shannon on NFTs. And as you can imagine, Mike Shannon was not familiar with Uh NFTs, which is understandable. I'm not even familiar hardly with NFTs. Same. So when they tried to get him to read what it was, here's what it sounded like on the Cardinals radio network. Mike Claiborne, what's an NFT? Says right there, NFT, Michael. We're going to find out. When we have to turn this place upside down, we'll find out what an NFT is. No friggin' touchdowns. <laughs> no. <laughs> no friggin' tonsils. You have that. I got my tonsils taken out. John, did you get your tonsils taken out oh, when you were a long, kid? Long time ago. Yeah. And they promised you ice cream and cake and all that stuff. And then they, they knew you couldn't eat. <laughs> Someone said ice cream now? No, thanks. <laughs> that went on for another like two and a half minutes. I think you get the idea of it, the gist of it. He eventually learned it was a non-fungible token, and he essentially said, oh, yeah, that's one of those uh, online things. Yeah, I don't do that. <laughs> it was absolutely incredible. One of my favorite Mike Shannon moments. He had a million of them, but Alex, for me, that was right up there. The best part about it is, too, like John Rooney and Mike Claiborne have the headsets <laughs> on, and they're listening to him try and figure out what an NFT is. And by the way, Jim Jackson, the longtime engineer in the broadcast booth, uh, that man probably has more stories than anybody oh else God. about Mike Shannon, because every time some Something would pop up. It'd be uh, Jim Jackson's going to get on that one and figure it out for us. <laughs> it was incredible. So that's one of my personal favorites. We're going to hear some more from Bob, Bob Costas, broadcaster for MLB Network, a sports broadcasting Hall of Famer, had, as you can imagine, a million experiences with Mike Shannon over the years. Bob Costas joins us coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And right now we are happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Bob Costas, broadcaster for MLB Network, sports broadcasting, Hall of Famer, friends and former colleague of Mike Shannon over at KMOX. Mike Shannon yesterday uh, died at the age of 83. We're remembering him and his legacy and some of the laughs as well today here on 101 ESPN. Bob, we sincerely appreciate you joining us today here on the show. Unfortunately, under the circumstances, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. And I think that um, the tone regarding Mike Shannon, obviously it's sad. We've lost him. But he led such a full life. He made it to 83, but by the time he was 53, he had probably crammed more life, more great experiences, and more enjoyment into his life than most people would have been able to manage if they lived to be 100. 
Bob, of course, the first thing many think of in St. Louis when they hear Mike Shannon is the broadcast, the one-liners that he has. But for me, the one thing I think of are the stories. And to your point, this man lived a life that any type of group of people, he would be able to fit right in and tell stories. Yeah, absolutely, because I said this in some other places today. He was probably the least self-conscious person I've ever run into. He had no insecurities, at least that I could detect. He was completely content and confident in, a, in an appropriate way in who he was. So he could walk into any situation and feel at home. He could be talking to the president on the one hand or the groundskeeper on the other, and he was the same guy uh, no matter what. And he was determined to enjoy everything he did. And I think that genuineness especially in a St. Louis context, because he was St. Louis. He was the Cardinals. Uh, I'm sure everybody listening is aware he was a multi-sports star at CBC, could have been a football star at Mizzou. Frank Broyles, uh, Hall of Fame football coach, said if he had stayed with football, he might have won the Heisman Trophy. Played on those Cardinal teams, not just any Cardinal teams, but those legendary teams of the 60s that went to the World Series three times, then right into the broadcast booth alongside Jack Buck, and he's there for half a century. Um, I don't know that that plays nationally, but locally in St. Louis and regionally, because the Cardinals are such a regional franchise, people get it. It's like Ron Santo with the Cubs. Maybe it doesn't play anywhere else, but at Wrigley Field, because he was part of that as a player. Or Jerry Remy, who was very popular on Red Sox broadcasts, because they remember him at Fenway Park. Uh, Joe Nuxall was like that in Cincinnati. Uh, maybe it wouldn't play outside the, the fans of that team, but the fans of that team loved it. And Bob, I remember specifically, and I said this earlier in our show, live at Shannon's on Saturday night home games, it was appointment listening for Cardinals fans just because of the guests that he would have and the conversations that would be brought up. And I know for a fact that you were guests multiple times for live at Shannon's and the impact that that had on the people that made sure that they were there for that radio. Nobody ever said no to Mike Shannon. And he was never bashful about asking. I mean, literally, he'd, he, he would ask the Queen of England to be on the show if somehow Her Majesty was in St. Louis. You know, he wasn't shy about any of it, and everybody said yes. And those conversations, which weren't structured, they were just great baseball talk. And sometimes it ranged outside baseball. And it was after the game, and maybe somebody had had a couple of Budweiser's along the way. Not maybe, certainly, um, including Mike. And it was just a loose, free-flowing conversation. Uh, People are leaving the ballpark. Uh, They're in their cars listening to it, or they'd listen to the game already, and this was just kind of an additional post-game thing, and it was just wonderful. Is it fair to say that was like podcasting before podcasting was a thing, basically? <laughs> you, may, you may have something there, because you like a podcast. A podcast could be almost any length, and sometimes it would be, yeah, I guess we're, we're done now. And other times it would be, hey, this is so good. Whatever they got scheduled for the next hour... Screw that. Keep going. <laughs> Bob, I only bring this up because because I was working at KMOX at the time and I was at the Live at Channons. Do you remember the evening that Muhammad Ali passed away? You were the guest with Mike on that broadcast. Yes, I was, because I had done the Cardinal game that night on the Major League Baseball Network, and Mike was in the next booth. 
And yes, we were on the air, and uh, word came that Muhammad Ali had passed away. Uh, and because of the fortunate circumstances of my career, I knew Muhammad Ali, maybe not well, but fairly well. Uh, so I had some personal recollections that, that I could offer. And now that you bring it up, I remember that uh, NBC called me while I was sitting there talking to Mike. NBC called and said, we need you to come and do an essay about Muhammad that will air between innings, not between innings, between periods, rather, of of the Stanley Cup Finals game tomorrow. So I wound up getting on a 6 a.m. flight and flying to New York to to take care of that the next day. But none of it was as fulsome, I'm sure, as what I was able to do with Mike, because like you guys said, it was so open-ended. Bob Costas is our guest here on 101 ESPN broadcaster for MLB Network. Uh, Bob, I am curious, the the early days of your relationship with Mike Shannon, what do you remember about Mike at that point in time? And and what were some of your earliest memories uh, with Mike Shannon? You know, my earliest memory of him, pardon me, my earliest memory of him, I'm 12 years old, and I'm rooting against him and the Cardinals because I live on Long Island. I'm rooting for the Yankees in the 1964 World Series. And I remember the home run he hit off Whitey Ford in Game 1 at the Old Sportsman's Park uh, that hit the eagle on the Anheuser-Busch sign at the back end of the bleachers in in left center field. So I remember him from those Cardinal teams of the 60s when I had no notion that I would wind up in St. Louis someday. When I got there in 1974... Mike was just at the very beginning of his broadcasting career and just beginning to kind of settle into it. Um, He would only in later years become the full-blown Mike Shannon uh, that Cardinal fans remember so fondly. But my interactions with him from the very start were always positive. He was always very friendly and very supportive. Bob, how impressed were you with the growth of Mike Shannon's broadcast career? You know, that's a good question because... It's easy to remember how colorful he was as a personality, and that's certainly part of the story. It's easy to remember the malaprops, and he was never self-conscious about it. You know, some of us, you make a mistake and you still remember it a decade later. You're losing sleep over it. He didn't lose sleep over any of it. <laughs> just, it, was, it was who he was, and he just kept on going, didn't apologize for any of it, didn't, didn't feel bad about any of it. So the malaprops, many of which were very entertaining and humorous, yeah. That that's part of it, but what can get lost in it was how good on his terms, which were not Jack Buck's terms or Joe Buck's terms or Vin Scully's terms or Red Barber's terms or whoever you want to mention among the great professional broadcasters, but on his terms, a lot of his best calls are really terrific and they really raise goosebumps. You know, he was so attached to the Cardinals, you could feel uh, the cardinal red, you know, coursing through his through his veins. It came through in every broadcast. Plus, he was so knowledgeable about baseball. He didn't walk into the booth with a bunch of preparation like most of us do with notes and all kinds of things. He called the game as he saw it, as it unfolded in front of him. And what he brought to it was all of his knowledge as a player and as many years as a broadcaster. And he really worked at it in his own way. He was always at the batting cage, in the dugout, in the clubhouses, because that was his element. And everybody in baseball, not just Cardinal people, just about everybody in baseball knew who he was. He was highly respected. So if you were looking for the classic baseball broadcast, that's not what you got from Mike Shannon. But eventually he established who he was, and that was more than good enough for a St. Louis audience. Bob, as a little bit of a follow-up on that, does 
does baseball allow itself for a, a Mike Shannon to happen in 2023, given that the pace of the game now is faster than it was. Mm-hmm. And that was part of what made Mike Shannon great is the storytelling within the yeah. game. The ability to grow on the job was obviously important, given how green he was when he first got into the yeah. booth. Do you think Mike Shannon exists in 2023 if this was when he was starting his career? You know, I think some version of that can happen on the local level, not on a national level. Baseball is different to begin with because of the day-in, day-out nature of it. It's still more a radio sport than other sports tend to be with television taking everything over. And, of course, for much of Mike's career with the Cardinals, radio was absolutely primary Uh, The Cardinals didn't televise any home games in the 70s and 80s. They just televised maybe 30 or 40 road games. That was about it. So the games on KMOX were the essence of it. Uh, And I think that you can still have a local situation like that. An example is Mark Mud Grant with the San Diego Padres. Now, it's television, not radio. And he's with an excellent play-by-play guy in Don Orsillo. But they have that kind of back-and-forth chemistry, and Mud's a little bit of a character. Jerry Remy was like that, passed away a few years ago, but Jerry Remy was like that, first with Don Don Orsillo and later with Dave O'Brien in the booth um, with the Red Sox. Dennis Eckersley was like that more recently uh, on the Red Sox broadcast. I mentioned Ron Santo had been like that uh, in Chicago, Herb Score in Cleveland. I, I think you could... That can happen, but not nationally, only locally where there's a a connection and a a local affinity. Uh, Bob, final one for me, and the only reason I ask this is because I know you have such an impact on, you know, charities and the communities in the St. Louis area. That was something that Mike Shannon prided himself in also, was taking care of other people in the uh, community of St. Louis. Yeah, you know, that's really something that all of us are aware of. I think Jack Buck set the template. Someone like Stan Musial being the sports icon, his decency and his willingness to help people being St. Louis's biggest sports icon. All of us tried as best we could uh, to try that same path. Dan Deardorff, Mike Shannon, we all tried. Uh, Mike was just a big-hearted person um, and, you know, just a, a genuine, regular guy, and people responded to that. Bob, I couldn't thank you enough for coming on the show today. We sincerely appreciate it, uh, despite the circumstances. Thanks so much for hopping on with us to discuss some of your memories of Mike Shannon, and we wish you all the best. Thank you, guys. Take care. Thanks, Bob. You got it. That's Bob Costas, broadcaster for MLB Network, Sports Broadcasting Hall of Famer. Couldn't thank him enough uh, for joining us today here on the show. I think the best thing about Mike Shannon, and you heard it there from Bob, we heard it earlier today, and if you missed it, I would recommend checking out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101ESPN app is where you can go to find it. Joe West joined us earlier to discuss some of his uh, fondest memories with Mike Shannon, is that no matter who you talk to, no matter what walk of life, and you kind of got this from one of the answers that we got from um, West earlier today, everybody felt the same way about Mike Shannon. Yeah. Like whether you loved it, you hate it. You're somewhere in between Mike Shannon was who he was and he was completely non-apologetic about it. And he was just going to be himself. And for 50 years, really 60 years here in St. Louis, that ended up, I mean, really his entire life that ended up becoming something that allowed him to be one of the most beloved sports figures in this community. And that's kind of an amazing thing to just be authentically yourself 
and for an entire community to embrace you for what that means. Especially like in, I say this tongue in cheek, but in today's age where, you know, if you, if you talk poorly about uh, somebody on a broadcast, people like turn their heads and are demanding an apology. Like Mike Shannon would call it like he saw it just as Bob Costas mentioned, like he would call the game, not be the perfect broadcaster. And if somebody was playing poorly or if somebody had a bad game, he would say it on the broadcast as recently as June of 21. Do you remember what that was like listening to him? It was Paul DeYoung, wasn't it? Where he basically said like, this guy can't hit right now. Yeah. And it was it was honest yeah. in a way that you just don't hear on broadcast, but, especially not rights holders broadcast. And the other thing about that, too, is Mike Shannon the next day would be in that clubhouse standing there if anybody wanted to talk to him. And if they would, he would back up what he just said as to why I said the way I believed it, because that's the type of player he was. And nobody turned their head to it because this was a guy who played the game. This was a guy who's been broadcasting the game. He's worked with all of these people. Yeah, the he hell has, are you going to say to Mike yeah, Shannon? <laughs> like you don't question that individual, which is something that I think everybody should take a lot of respect for. Coming up next, I want to continue with our thoughts on Mike Shannon. We got a couple of um, uh, on-air stories that we want to mention uh, from Mike Shannon recently. We'll get to a couple of those, play some audio for you, and... Mike Shannon is a uniquely St. Louis story. We'll discuss that a little bit coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're the reason we're all here. You, the fans, you've made it so much real. to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Baseball fans are sharing their favorite memories of St. Louis Cardinals great Mike Shannon. Shannon died on Saturday. He was a a St. Louis native who played his entire major league career with his hometown team. Third baseman and outfielder won two World Series championships. And then after that, he would move on to the radio broadcast booth where he covered his beloved Cardinals for 50 years. The team's owner said Mike's unique connection to Cardinals fans was reflected in his passion for the game. Mike Shannon was 83 years old. pitch. Swing and hello, 4th of July. Take a ride on that knockdown pitch, big boy. Terry Wood knocked him down, and now Albert looks at him as he goes around first. He gives him a glare. Say, take a little whip of that, big boy. Give it to him, big boy. Give it to him. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're the reason we're all here. You, the fans, you've made it so much real. That audio courtesy, courtesy, excuse me, of the Today Show and KMOX. Mike Shannon passed away over the weekend. We continue to remember him here on 101 ESPN. If you missed any of our conversation with Joe West, uh, former Major League Baseball umpire, or Bob Costas, you can find those both on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, I think you can feel it in all of the things that we just heard, whether it's his appreciation for the fans, the way that he is remembered both locally and nationally, and honestly, just his broadcasting style. Mike Shannon was St. Louis. 
He was the Missouri High School uh, Player of the Year in both football and basketball. Uh, based on every evi- piece of evidence that we have, that is the only time that's ever happened not in the even, state of Missouri. Not even baseball. <laughs> he signed with the Cardinals in 1958, eventually spent nine seasons with the Cardinals in the big leagues, then spent 50 years in the broadcast booth. He's from St. Louis. He lived in St. Louis his entire life. And all he ever wanted to do was be a member of the St. Louis Cardinals. I was thinking about this yesterday, just like guys that are associated with St. Louis sports and the number of people that would just recognize them from every walk of life from like whether they're interested in sports in St. Louis or not, man, Mike Shannon is at or near the top of the list in terms of name recognition, voice recognition. You walk into Schnooks or Deerberg's or um, a, a random bar in the city of St. Louis There's not many people who walk in and don't recognize Mike Shannon for all of his contributions to the city over the last 70 years. Yeah, I I mean, John Rooney said it in the article that uh, Rick Hummel put out on the Post-Dispatch today, and and I thought it was like the most um, popping quote where he said, how rare is it? for a broadcaster to be on the air and say there's 3,000 tickets available for tomorrow night's game, and in a matter of seconds, those tickets would be sold out. Like, that was the impact that Mike Shannon had, and it wasn't on baseball, it wasn't on the car, it was on the city of St. Louis, and it goes beyond that. And, And the impact that he had on the community, on different charities, the support he had for his alma mater and CBC, he was always willing to do something for other people. And it's just the type of person that he was. And I don't have that many stories compared to what other people do, but you hear people talk about Mike Shannon, Mike Claiborne, John Rooney, these individuals who worked with him for so long, you knew the type of individual he was. And that was already making him an A-plus celebrity in a lot of people's minds in St. Louis. And then add on to the fact that he was a multiple World Series champion. He was a guy who broadcasted for the Cardinals for 50-plus years. And it was somebody who put the Cardinals at the top of their list. And that's what so many people loved about Mike Shannon. It, it, it just was a... A overwhelming St. Louis type of individual. He was an everyman. Yeah. He was an everyman in the way that all of us want to be an everyman. Right. But Mike Shannon was that. It yeah. was genuinely who he was, authentically. Somebody said from the 314, guys, Bobby Plager was to the Blues what Mike Shannon was to the Cardinals. There's some truth to that. I would say the biggest difference, though, is that, like, and this is not to put down Bob Plager in any way, shape, or form, but Mike Shannon was a really important player on yeah. three teams that went to the World Series here in St. Louis, two of which that ended up winning the the World Series. Those are some of the most fondly remembered teams here in the city. And then after that, went on to become a 50-year broadcaster for the Cardinals. I mean, that on KMOX, nonetheless. Like, this is one of the most sought-after jobs in all of baseball. And Shannon held that job for 50 years. Think about that, man. Think about whatever it is that you do in life. And now imagine, like, in whatever market it is that is the most uh, sought after for that specific thing. Imagine getting that job and then holding on to it for the rest of your life that you want to continue to have that position. That was Shannon's life. And the part of it, too, is... And it was his childhood dream. Yeah. He, He wasn't just... The color commentator. It wasn't just a former athlete analyzing the game. He was a play-by-play guy for the Cardinals. And he did it admirably while 
analyzing the game. Like, how many play-by-play guys can be a commentator at the same time? I, I, I think him and Scully, yeah. and they went about it differently. Like, they, they were very different broadcasters. But I, I don't know. I, I asked this to Bob. I don't know if there's a Mike Sheehan that can come up in today's today's game. The way that he did, where it's like Euchre kind of this way yeah. too, uh, up in Milwaukee. But like a guy that was a former player that ends up getting into the broadcast booth and then becomes a play-by-play guy. That is a completely different job than doing color analysis, right? Like on the, on the games that we watch on Bally Sports Midwest, it's BT, uh, it's Jim Edmonds. They are the color, color analysts. Yeah. They have Chip Carey or Danny Mack to guide us through the game, and then they give us the analysis. Mike Shannon was the play-by-play guy, and he added in the analysis the same way that like some of the great broadcasters in the history of the game did. Mm-hmm. That is a unique quality to be able to have. It's, yeah. it's really remarkable. He could carry a broadcast himself. Like, Think about that. That is so Nine hard, Nine innings when there's no pitch clock, when when the extra inning rule is not into play. He could carry a nine-inning baseball game by himself and keep you enthralled. Yeah. That's the impressive part. And some of that is because of, and he would claim these as much as anybody, some of the gaffes that would take place over the course of the broadcast where he says something and then he laughs along with it the same way that you did. He I wasn't embarrassed it. by anything. He claimed it all. <laughs> So I want to go through a couple of these. The first is him talking about a sack of, no, not potatoes, a sack of onions on the broadcast. That laser worked good. It It did. Woo-wee. I mean, he put a laser on it, man. He went down like a sack of onions. (laughs) He did. (laughs) It would take him a little while to get his heart beating. Woo-wee. It it wasn't even what he said. It was the the noises after. (laughs) Woo-wee. (laughs) Woo-wee. Then you've got his uh, maybe one of the more famous ones recently. Uh, tell us about Cinco de Mayo, Mike. The Cardinals up by Cinco, Cinco de Mayo. That's coming up pretty soon, too, isn't it? Cinco de Mayo, when is that? Is it over already? That happens uh, on the fifth month, the fifth day, right? Cinco de Mayo. So it's coming up the next May. <laughs> Get ready now. I'm pretty. I can't remember if that was June or July, but it was definitely beyond me now. It was. I mean, it's. That's what he brought to the broadcast. Baseball is supposed to be fun. That's a part of it that sometimes gets lost. And we, I love diving into the numbers. You guys know this. I like getting into the political side of things. It is the thinking man's game. Like, there's a lot about baseball that you can go beyond just the stories and the fun part of it. But at its core. Baseball is fun, and Mike Shannon brought that to a broadcast in a way that very few can, and those are just a couple of the moments. I I mean, just a couple more that stick out for me, uh, but I don't remember who it was. Kamish had it in his piece, but it was somebody tried to sneak a uh, pitch past Pujols, and Pujols (laughs) hit it into the outfield. (laughs) Yeah, gaps for you right there. (laughs) But Pujols took it into the the stands, and he said he tried to sneak that pitch by Pujols like uh, the sun trying to sneak past a rooster. And I mean, he just like chuckles after it. And the one that I'll never Never forget was Jumbo Diaz. We all remember Jumbo Diaz, the tall, big reliever for the Cincinnati Reds. And he would just go on an entire rant and laugh with John Rooney about, uh, I think Jumbo 
Diaz was six foot six, three hundred pounds back in third grade, and just laugh about it. It was amazing. Uh, the, the somebody Andrew from the six foot eight says one of my favorites is I wish you folks in St. Louis could see this moon. <laughs> It's <laughs> just perfect. God, that laugh. Oh, just so perfect. good. And that's the other thing. The laugh. There are very few iconic laughs. Mike Shannon had one of them. Yep. Coming up next, man, that Matthew Kachuk trade was quite the flashpoint, not just for the Blues, but really for NHL history. We'll discuss it next here on 101 ESPN. Swing and hello, 4th of July. Take a ride on that knockdown pitch, big boy. Back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big bang. Carlo can't grab it. It comes to Verhage. Turns, shoots, scores! And the Panthers have eliminated the Boston Bruins. The Florida Panthers, 43 points behind the Bruins, have just won it in Game 7 in overtime. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That's what it sounded like on Turner Sports as the Florida Panthers eliminate the President's Trophy, Boston Bruins. Alex, the trade over the summer, sending Matthew Kachuk to the Florida Panthers was a flashpoint, in my opinion, and not only... Blues history, but in NHL history. So the Florida Panthers get 110 points out of him this season, including 40 po- 40 goals this year. Then in the postseason, oh, all he does is put up five goals and 11 points in the seven game series against the Boston Bruins. He was a plus five in that series. And if not for him, it doesn't go to a game number seven for the Panthers to be able to end up winning that thing. Alex, then you look at the other teams that were involved in this potentially. The Calgary Flames missed out on the playoffs, fire their GM, fire their head coach, and are spending next year $17 million for Jonathan Huberdeau and Mackenzie Wieger. The St. Louis Blues missed the playoffs, don't have a player that plays the style of Matthew Kachuk, could really use the leadership of a Matthew Kachuk. And meanwhile, the Florida Panthers are now heading to the second round of the playoffs with a real chance to be able to continue advancing here. One of the biggest recent trades in NHL history just got a little bigger with the legacy that he's able to leave on this postseason. I don't know if anybody caught it, but Paul Maurice, what was that after game five? I think when the Panthers won, um, Paul Maurice was asked about Keith Kachuk. And I mean, it was like a dad asked about his son. He was he was giggling of how impactful Matthew Kachuk has been in the victories for the Panthers against the Boston Bruins. The goals for for the goals against was 13 to four. So in four victories, Matthew Kachuk's line had 13 goals while the other team scored four. He was an intimidation factor. And I know we have a lot of the conversations of, you know, there's the other elements of the game's not as impactful as when you're scoring goals and playing that way can be very true in the regular season, but in the postseason, the type of player Matthew Kachuk is, is the type of player that teams that have success need. Pat Maroon was this way in 2019. Maybe he wasn't scoring all the goals, but if you've got a guy who gets into the opponent's head where they think, man, we got to deal with this guy every single freaking night. And how are we going to stop him? That's advantage your team. And that's the type of player Matthew Kachuk is. It's why Florida at the time 
gave up an awful lot. Remember, everyone was like, man, they gave up way too much for Matthew Everyone Kachuk. except for this guy right here. Oh, thanks, man. I'm glad yeah, you I appreciate, appreciate it. Thanks for pointing <laughs> yeah. at me. I appreciate that yeah. one. No, I mean, look, I, I, I'll, I'll, I was guilty of it. You gave up a dude who had 100-plus points in, in Jonathan Huberdeau. You gave up one of the best defensive players for that team in Mackenzie Weger and a first-round pick and a prospect for Matthew Kachuk. None of that bleeping matters if you got a guy who does this in the playoffs. It's what I was saying at the time. What we were all saying at the time, yeah. honestly. Like, the reason why... I'll push back a little bit on some. sometimes we have the conversation about the grit versus the talent. The reason why Kachuk is so valuable is because he's got it all. It's all tied up into one player. This is a guy that scores 40 goals each of the last two years, puts up more than 100 points each of the last two years. And oh, by the way, you need a big hit. You need a fight. You need somebody to get in the grill of the goalie. He's the first guy that's doing it. That's the part. It, when when he's not on the score sheet last night, didn't have any points, but he was noticeable every single shift. And that's what's so different about him. It's what makes him unique as a superstar in the league. Honestly, it's not hard to see that he's Matt, or that he's Keith Kachuk's kid. Like, he brings everything to the table. He's got the leadership. He's got the skill. He's got the physicality. He's like a five-tool player in the NHL. These guys don't exist. Mm -hmm. And it's why last year I said, whatever it takes to get this done, this is the guy that you go out and make the move for. Give up everything for. Whatever it is. Like, you don't give up Robert Thomas because that's part of the appeal of having Matthew Kachuk is that those guys can play together. But otherwise, first-round pick, done. Multiple first-round picks, done. Jordan Cairo, done. This is the guy that you risk it all for. The Blues decided that it wasn't worth it for them. They decided to go a different route. They decided, you know, whether it was the money, whether it was the assets, whatever the reason, they weren't going to be able or willing to match the price that Florida was willing to pay. And to be fair, we don't know if there was any move whatsoever that the Blues could have offered that would have matched what Florida did end up offering. And I would imagine Matthew Kachuk's pretty happy living in Miami. It's a pretty nice spot to live for a 25 year old kid yeah, but have you seen the weather in may here there's other stuff that comes along with being a hometown kid as well but man if there was ever a player that you just say bleep it we're pushing all in all the chips to the mm-hmm. center of the table he was the one yeah someone made a great comp on the text line 636 they said he's today's brendan shanahan it's exactly what he is <laughs> great he's comp. brendan shanahan He's the goal scorer. He's the fighter. He's the initiator. He's the guy that can get into the heads of the opponent. And as much as I said, bank on Toronto Maple Leafs having success now and potentially going on a run, their biggest task wasn't getting past Tampa. Their biggest task is going to have to find a way to deal with Matthew Kachuk. Good luck. Yeah, I think everybody's thinking that right now in the Western Conference. And this is why I have seen people put out there saying like, oh, well, the Blues didn't have any opportunity to get him because he got to choose where he wanted to go. No, he gave a list to Calgary and said, these are the places that I will agree to be traded. Excuse me. This was reported by Jeremy Rutherford. He gave a list and said, these are the places that I'll go. And then Calgary negotiated the deal and Florida gave him the best offer. Pat Steinberg said, yeah, last week he said there were other teams that had younger players available to him, but Florida anted up and gave the best offer. And like, there's going to be a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking where people will now say, oh, well, he steered this thing to, to Miami. He wanted to play for the Panthers. I, I absolutely believe, hell, we know that he would, he, he said, I would like to go to Miami. We also know for a fact he would have been okay with coming to St. Louis if that was the team that decided to make the move for it. was on his agreed upon list. And so the Blues decided not to meet the asking price. That is their prerogative. They can decide how to go about it. I would have done it differently. 
I, I would have gone about it differently. We said this is not us second guessing it now as opposed to then. No, we said it at the time. This was the guy that you decided to make that move for. Uh, they decided to go to a different route. And now we're seeing the results on, on both sides of it, the good and the bad. Coming up next, we're hitting the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. If you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101ESPN app is where you can go to find it. Coming up at 2 o'clock, Brad Thompson is going to join the guys on the fast lane. Uh, he will continue remembering the life and legacy of the late Mike Shannon. If you missed our conversations with Joe West and Bob Costas, you can find those on the podcast page as well. But Alex, we, be, we finished today's show with where we began, which is Oh, this, really? This bleeping Cardinals team, man. It's such a good day. I said coming into the weekend on our Friday show when I was broadcasting from a tin can that if the Cardinals sweep or a bathroom and you end up getting a, a bad weekend from the Padres and a bad weekend from the Mets and a bad weekend from the Phillies, man, the Cardinals are right back in it, baby. How'd that go, by the way? The worst weekend was the Mets, just, and that's just because they got rained out all three games. <laughs> So, so the uh, the Astros took care of business. Or, uh, sorry, the Phillies took care yeah, of business. Phillies took two or three against Houston. Padres San Diego. They took, had to go all the way to Mexico City to win two against the Giants. And that's East Coast to West Coast, right? And their their offense woke up big time in that game. So well. Did you just say San Diego to Mexico? Yeah, I did. City? I was seeing if anybody <laughs> caught that, and nobody did. I'm like, really? How did you make sure that, that I, heard I that caught it? Because it was making fun of me, so I didn't Tana want to just, respond. Tana to it. just glossed right over it. How'd that go? Man, BK, you are Alex, you're on a heater right now, man. The Reds are two and a half games up on the Cardinals. Remember oh when we said the Reds are going to be a, a, tra- a dumpster fire they this are. year? That's the problem. Luke, are they? Luke are Weaver the is starting for him today with a seven and a half ERA. Alex, how many nationals could you name before you say, I don't have anybody else? Oh, let's try. Ooh, this. I could go three. Really? Yeah, I don't I think even so. try to get to three. I think so. Joey Manessas. Abrams. Joe Ross. Oh, I forgot about. Is Joe, I don't think Ross is a yeah, national is. still. I don't think so. He's a pitcher for him, isn't he? I don't think so. No. Patrick Corbin. Yeah. I was yeah there you go. There's three. Um, I even watched them play the Pirates over the weekend, and that might be about. Oh, the former uh, Cardinal Lane Thomas. Yeah. yeah, Lane Thomas. That's probably it. Right. And then there was Victor another. Robles. You could probably get that one eventually. And then who was the other guy that they the, the pitcher that they got in the trade with San Diego? Gore. Gore. Yeah, oh, yeah. Mackenzie Gore. Strasburg. He's. Where he is, but he's on the injured list. So that like, you know, reason I bring this up: that Lamborghini's in the car shop still. They have the same number of wins this year as the Cardinals. We can name like five players on their team, and, and it was pulling teeth. Let's be honest. After we got to three, uh, yeah, and we could probably name less on the Reds. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'm I got two on the Reds: Jonathan India, Joey Votto. Votto's hurt, and I'm out. Is uh, the big Moose still play for him? No, he's in Colorado. Man, they really have a lot of guys that I've never heard of. Uh, do yeah. they still have um, Wendell? They've got Green. Oh, yeah. Hunter Green. You guys have heard of him. Yeah. 
mean, that's, that's about it. Yeah, Hunter Green, Jonathan India, Votto, who's on the ice. Yeah. The reason I bring Tucker this up. Tucker Barnhart. No, he's not there either. <laughs> Something he's said, actually on the Nationals. Someone texted and said, boy, do we suck. <laughs> like, you are right, yeah, text line. If that's Vic, they're right. They're just not that good. That's why I bring this up. Like, you think about the Cardinals, and even if we weren't in St. Louis, you could name like 10 or 15 guys on this team before you'd be like, man, nah, I don't know how many more I've got. This team shouldn't be this bad. And yet, man, it's no longer that early. We're more than a month into the season. This is the worst se- This is the worst start in 50 years. Think about it. basically the entire time Mike Shannon was a broadcaster for the Cardinals. He never saw a start this bad. That's crazy that that is possible. And so, like, we'll talk about this most of the day tomorrow on how they get Do this we really thing need, back on no, track. No, no, we're not going to put ourselves in denial anymore. How the the fix to the Cardinals is facing the Angels, the Tigers, the Red Sox, and the Cubs. Can we just start rooting for the Pirates? But, man, I'm in. Alex has mentioned this now for the last couple of weeks. It is hard not to see the similarities between this team and the Blues. Where you just say, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine. And then eventually you say to yourself, oh bleep, it is not fine. At some point, you have to stop denying the inevitable and say, you know what? Maybe this run of success that the Cardinals have gone through might have hit its toll. And you're going to have to go through one bad year to have a wake-up call to move forward. And and I don't think this is the same as the Blues in terms of you're looking at it and be like, oh, you got to sell out pieces and revamp this roster. No, I mean, to, at some point you might. You got yeah. I, like I I can't believe we're saying that. At some point they'll have to consider trading Jordan Montgomery and Jack Flaherty at the trade deadline. Oh yeah, I'm I'm absolutely with you there. If you're not bringing them back, you're going to have to trade them. The framework's in place, but like Tyler O'Neill, like th- th- there are real no, assets. Is Tyler O'Neill the BK's Ivan Barbashev? Worse. Gotta be traded. No, Barbie was a good player. <laughs> He was helpful. <laughs> Cardinals are the, the Blues just, you know, what he's the, a winning player that wasn't helping the Blues lose. And therefore, you got to move him. You know what the difference they though, between the Cardinals and the Blues seasons are for me? For Craig Berube, it still felt to me like the right guy was in place to lead them out of this. And I believe a lot of people are questioning if Ali Marmol is the right See, guy to lead them I, out of this. the same thing I, for I got to the, yeah, I You got guys to the, were, but I wasn't. No, I, I, I was at the point of Let's be very clear. I was not. Oh, but I the text was. line? text line was absolutely calling for Barubi during a lot of that losing well, streak. I was Smart with the text line people on that moment. were not questioning that. Yeah, because he really had the locker room. <laughs> he did. Kyra would tell you about it. Do we have to talk about the Cardinals tomorrow? Hey, man, I got so many Blues topics we're ready to get into. We are seven days away from the NHL draft lottery, ladies and gentlemen, and the tinfoil is going to be in full effect. You see, JR, we'll talk to him tomorrow, I think. He he wrote a piece this weekend on what it looks like for the Blues to get Bedard. He and I worked that out together over the weekend, too. We came up with line combinations. They are so dropping two spots. I will give you $100 if they drop two spots in the lottery. Take that bad. There is no... Yeah, remember what I said? Yeah, $100. Yeah, $100. There's no way. They're moving up to number two. Adam Fantilli. That's what's coming to St. Louis. We will have a tender Tuesday tomorrow. I'm looking forward to that. We will, I think, have Jeremy Rutherford tomorrow as well. So we'll have some fun. The fast lane's going to have some fun from two to six. They've got Brad Thompson joining them at the top of the hour. Looking forward to that. And right now, we've got your chance to score free tickets to see Thomas Rhett. You guys thought I forgot. With special guest Cole Thomas Rhett 
on Saturday, May 20th at Enterprise Center. Tickets are on sale now, or you can text in to win Thomas Rhett tickets at 314-399-9646. You can also register to win at 101ESPN.com or just download the free 101 ESPN app as well. You'll get an opportunity to win over there on the contest page. Here's how you do it. Your text are number 101 at 314-399-9646. And you tell us, how many World Series did Mike Shannon win as a player here in St. Louis? If you get the correct number and your text to number 101, you're scoring free tickets to see Thomas Rhett with special guest Cole Swindell on May 20th. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next. The Cardinals up by Cinco, Cinco de Mayo. That's coming up pretty soon, too, isn't it? Cinco de Mayo, when is that? Is it over already? That happens uh, on the fifth month, the fifth day, right? Cinco de Mayo. So it's coming up the next May. <laughs> Get ready now. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.